Coming to you from high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 52. Today is all about Cinegear 2022 that happened back in June of 2022. We have a bunch of great interviews with companies like Anton Bauer, Deity Microphones, Canon, DJI, and Sony. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Welcome everyone to episode 52 here on Tech Move. It is Rod Louie along with the great Keith Moreau and it has been a little while since we've been able to come back and talk with you a little bit and this is no exception ladies and gentlemen <laughs> because we have a probably a precursor to Cinegear 2023 with the episode of Cinegear 2022 presented right here in front of your eyes right now. <laughs> Keith Moreau, how are you today? I'm very good. And you? Good, good. No, I'm d- doing very, very well. And just because of schedules and stuff like that, we are finally getting to our Cinegear 2022 extravaganza, which is going to be pretty exciting. We have a lot of great interviews. Keith, you were very busy uh, at Cinegear, which actually was really the first time in what two years or something uh, like that. I guess it's I guess it's uh, three years because the last Cinegear is in, that I went to was in 2019. Right, holy mackerel! Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, not only with with COVID and them not being sure about how to restart the thing, it has been a while since our uh, we've been able to cover such things as Cinegear. So, folks, you are in store for a great episode. A lot of great interviews, a lot of great information being passed down, and uh, we will get to that. After we talk a little bit of some of the new things that are going on in the world of Keith Moreau and Rod <laughs> Louie and the world of Tech Move on its own. And Keith, you know, in our pre-show production meetings that we have that last weeks on end, uh, one thing that's very, very interesting is that you've had a couple, well, I, w- I won't say a couple, well, maybe it's a couple, but major DIY projects at your personal home uh, outside of our luxury studios uh, <laughs> that we record uh, Tech Move, but at your own personal residence, which we won't tell the listening audience where that is. But there's been a lot of stuff. You've been swinging the hammer uh, over there, haven't you? Uh, if you can say a hammer is a hard drive, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've been swinging hard drives. I mean, really, get, getting some of those, all your hard drives to work sometimes requires a hammer, though, doesn't it? 
especially when you get frustrated. Right. And, yeah. uh, they're, they're so filled with data that, uh, it just, it, it's, it just clouds everything up. So, uh, Keith, share with us a little, share with our fine, fine audience who's waiting on pins and needles about what's going on in the, uh, in the technology world of Keith Moreau. Okay. So in order for me to, um, get the fastest speeds of, of access, uh, online access to all these, all these recordings and all these files that I continually produce. Um, I, I need, uh, I usually use raids and the last, a couple raids I've gotten have been these, the pretty, pretty, fairly inexpensive for what they are. They're called Thunder Bays and they're made by OWC and they actually hold their eight bay, uh, enclosures. Um, but they're not, they're not raids on their own. They just present uh, eight individual drives to the computer. So if you just put these drives in without software and you launched um, disk utility on the Mac, you would see just eight individual drives. Okay, But um, I also have this additional piece of software called SoftRaid, which has been around forever. And it actually uses the Mac OS and the Mac to actually raid in different configurations, raid all those those eight drives together and i've actually used it on other enclosures not just eight drive enclosures i've used it on four or five two drive enclosures I, I use it all the time so i have a couple pro licenses for it and it's not in it's not uh, free software i think it's cost about 150 200 bucks or something but it's worth it now um, is this is this still a nas server uh no it's it not it's technically just, not no it's actually just direct called daz direct attached storage so it's just connected to the computer just directly to the computer because a nas is great especially if you have multiple people working on the same um hard drive over a network in in a local office or something like for example a a a production company might have several people working on the same files um and it's great to have a nas for that because they can just Instead of having all the, the drives connected directly to the computer, they just use a very fast internet, uh, not internet, but network connection uh, to get to the drives. I think you have a, a network drive, right? You have That's correct. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so if, if I was over there, I could also, I could connect to your network and we could both use the same drive. Yep. But, but, um, I have something like that, but I don't, I don't need that because I'm just one person working on these drives. Um, if I had multiple people here or if I worked in collaborate, collaboration in office or something i might have a nas but i don't have that because nases are not necessarily that fast they're they only can go to 10 gigabits per second so which i painfully know yeah so even 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 um 10 gigabytes is pretty fast yep um and but it's I also can't expensive. Get anywhere, i can't get anywhere near close to that so yeah yeah so um i actually the new mac studio has a 10 gigabit ethernet connection so it's it's built in but normally they actually have to buy an extra interface for that and you have to buy special switches and things like that. So I actually have all that stuff, but I don't really use it. So I just have this direct attached Thunderbolt because Thunderbolt's super fast. It goes up to 40 gigabits per second. So um, anyway, as I've been um, building these eight bay drives, they're pretty, they're pretty big and heavy. Uh, you know, imagine eight drives all in one enclosure. Um, so they're, you know, they're like 30 to 50 pounds or something each. They're just very solid. Um, and, and if you have all these drives in there, depending on the, the quietness or noise of the drive, they can actually get kind of noisy. 
especially when they're With accessing. All the fans going too, right? Yeah, they got the fans going. All the things are whirring because they're trying, still talking about spinning discs, and so I, I actually have have like four or five um, drives under my desk, which is still a lot quieter than having them on your desk. But after a while, when I had all these drives running, it was starting to get really noisy in my editing studio. Like I could, it was definitely this kind of low level, like hissing and accessing sounds and all kinds of sounds. Right. Sure. Yeah. And then when I, I added another drive, it's the biggest drive I've ever created. I think it's 140 terabytes. <laughs> I got, I got the biggest, yeah, I got the biggest, um, hard drives I could get, which are, I think 18 terabyte drives. Yeah. Okay. Each, and, these each, are, and, and these are all the old spinning kind too, yeah, right? The old spinning kind, because if you got 18 terabytes of SSDs, that would be a fortune. Right. So, yeah. So, but, but when you raid them all together, you can get really fast access out of these, you know, like maybe 1500 gigab- gigabits per second or, you know, something pretty fast. Okay. Or 1500 gigabytes per second. So it can get, they can get really fast when you raid all these spinning drives together. And the access is pretty good too. So, but the problem is, is that when you, when you have eight, 18 terabyte drives in an enclosure, it gets really loud. Yeah. And also when they access, they're all accessing at once to, to grab this data off the drive and merge it together. Right. Um, and so those, those accessing sounds get really loud. So, <laughs> right. yeah. Probably it sounds, sounds like teletype machines or it, something. It, it kind of does. It kind of yes. does. Yeah. So I've been meaning to, for a really long time, um, extend um, the Thunderbolt connection from where my Mac Studio or my computer is in this case now it's a Mac Studio in my office studio to a nearby ut- uh, broom closet, which I converted into a little server closet. So I thought I could move these drives over to the server closet, uh, which has other drives in it and things, and then I would still be able to access them with direct attached storage, but um, not have them right in my office and making noise. So and so I, and I, therefore isolating sounds and stuff like that. They can yeah. go crazy in the closet and exactly. close the, the door and nobody yeah. cares. Yeah, and another issue too is the room was starting to heat up a lot because all these drives you can imagine running at once it get, generates a lot of heat. Right. So it, so is there's just a lot of reasons to not have it in this room. So and I'd been looking into it and I was saying, "Hmm, I wonder if there's a way to extend Thunderbolt or to have a just a longer cable because right now uh, previous to even very recently the longest cables you can get to be about 7 feet long. Right. And that was it. Exactly. Yeah. So I I looked And they're into very it. expensive too. Yeah. I they're think really the expensive. Se- the, I think the 7 footers are like at least 50 bucks, right? At least. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. they're definitely in that range. So yeah. um so I looked into it and it turns out there's a there is a company I forgot the company name. It's not 3M. Anyway, there's there's a it's a it's a, you'd recognize the name if you heard it. Anyway, there's a company that makes an optical um optical thunderbolt cable. So, on one end it 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 takes the regular electrical signal, converts it to optical and then shoots it 30 100 feet or whatever and then on the other and the through optical fiber optics and then on the other end it converts the optics to regular copper and then that plugs into your thunderbolt stuff. So I said, oh, that's that's pretty cool. I could use that. I don't need 30 feet. I only need about 10 feet. Um, but still, um, that was a viable solution. The cables are really expensive, though. They're like $300. Wow. And, 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 and are these cables rated for Thunderbolt 3 or 4? Or, yeah. 
they can go because we've had that discussion on a yeah. previous episode. Yeah, there are Thunderbolt so, four cables. They can excellent. go forty gigabits per second. So I looked into that. I went, hmm, that's interesting. I don't need thirty feet, but it's an option. But then I saw that Apple had just released their Pro. Uh, I think it's like nine and a half foot cable or ten foot cable, and it's just copper. But they'd put enough electronics in it to to make it work over that distance. So they extended the range of their Thunderbolt cable. It's still not cheap. It was like 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. But I also I also heard that there was latency on those optical cables, which made it a little bit lower performance because when you would access, there'd be a little bit of delay before it went back down, converted to optic to to convert the electrical to optical and then back. And so that, that created a little bit of delay. And so all your accesses and things like that might be a little bit slower. Maybe not that perceptible, but something. So I said, I'm going to get this Apple cable and see if it works. So mm-hmm. I got the Apple cable. I actually had it delivered from an Apple store, um, which they, which is kind of cool. And I had it here and I tested it out just locally, just in my own under desk setup to see if it actually worked. And it worked fine. So the other day I just bit the bullet and, and went under my desk and I pulled out all these super heavy drives and I moved into my server closet, stacked them up. So I have like four of these gigantic drives along with my uh, Drobo and one of my main Drobos, which I use for my main kind of system drive um, that has extra stuff in it. For example, my my iPhotos library and things like that that I don't want to store on my SSDs because they're so huge. Um, and I put it in there and I got it all daisy chained and, and this, this um, Apple cable was just long enough to reach underneath i have a kind of a hole cut in my floor yeah and it goes underneath outside the house a little bit kind of in an eave and then through the um like the lower floor joists <laughs> and then up into the server closet i have other cables going there back and forth there too so it was the same line and right. it was just just it was just able to make that distance so you have to put the thing pretty much on the floor, yeah, right? Yeah, the, you, the first like, no way you could go on the top shelf of of the no. broom closet. No, so I have that thing right on the floor, right near the opening, un- under the floor, and I have my my I have a two terabyte, uh, dr- very quiet uh, SSD drive right at the right underneath my desk. It doesn't make any noise. That's my my connection. So I have a six foot cable coming out from my studio going into this small SSD drive and then out of that SSD drive and then under the floor and then into my closet and into and, that set of drives. And, and that works. And, and and you and you did tests to, to see what the speed was of it. Yeah, I did tests and I, I put it I put one of my fast drives, the same one that you have, the Acasis drive with the rocket. Yes. Um uh, I forget the brand. But uh, the, yeah, I forgot. Sabrent, the Sabrent. <laughs> Sabrent, right. The right. Sabrent, which is super fast. I put. I have a couple of those. I put one of them um, at the end of that chain that I created, and it was just as fast as a, as a local. Oh, drive. that's wonderful. Yeah. And so I basically am extending it about, I mean, it's like almost 20 feet because I have a six-foot cable, and then, yeah, so it's, it's almost a 20-foot extension. So, yeah, and so now I'm able to, it's like totally quiet in my office right now while we're recording. Like there's no drives churning away and clacking and <laughs> coughing and hiccuping <laughs> and everything like that. Right? Yeah. So it's yeah. back to this nice quiet mode. And, and, really and, like. and you know what? The, the temperature of the room must be a little bit better too. Oh yeah. It's totally cool now. Yeah. My, my closet, I think when I'm running is pretty hot, but I have, I've got a exhaust fan in there. 
So oh, okay. it, it stays when it gets to a certain temperature, I have this little thermostat controlled outlet. Right. And I have my a fan, exhaust fan plugged into that. So when the temperature goes above a certain point, it just turns the fan on in there. And it but probably is on all the time. <laughs> it's on all the time if I'm using it, like right. if I'm editing and those drives are on, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So that's my my solution. That's pretty neat. I like yeah. it. I, I, yeah. I, okay, so let, let, let me go a, a, another direction here because, um, you know, I've, I've been to the studio, uh, yeah. several times and in that broom closet used to be your collection of Drobo, uh, what I used to consider NAS, uh, yeah. uh, drives there. I mean, literally, Keith, you had about like, Six of them, six four bay drives in there, or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, six and to eight drives, yeah. six to eight drives, yeah. and you know, and they were all accessible and stuff like that. Yeah. What happened to those guys? Did you throw them away? Did you, <laughs> you know, did you pack them up and send them off to Siberia? What did you do? <laughs> well, um, I had this going for quite some time, several years, um, because I needed. To, the, those drives were basically backup drives. They were not drives that I needed to have uh, online all the time. Uh, they're Drobo, so they're not that fast, but they're very reliable. And I had them on all the time because I would, when I needed, when I shot stuff, I would copy material to several of the drives, and I'd need to have that online rather than going over there and turning them all on and and then and then going through that procedure. And I also had a a Mac uh, a Mac laptop, uh, like a MacBook, set up as kind of the server. Yeah. So, and I was able to use, um, software to access that Mac. So it was kind of a NAS, basically. I was able to mount the drives and back them up that way and do stuff like that. But, um, I realized that I had a lot of, I was wasting a lot of power because I had these things all on all the time. And really all I was using them was for backup. And then as I got, as stuff got older and over, older, I didn't really need to access those drives. I didn't need to have them online all the time. So after a while, I started shutting some of them down. And I had some up and some down. And then and then I realized, you know, I only back up, you know, when I first go uh, do a shoot and then I just do an immediate backup. And and then I don't need to have that drive, that backup drive accessible after that. So I got used to just turning on my backup drives. Yeah. Doing the backup. And then when it was done, like the next day, just turn them off until the next shoot or something like that. So I didn't really need to use all that power. Um, when I did my solar power system, um, in my house, which I did over the last couple of years, I started becoming very conscious of how much power I was using in the house. Yes. And just also because ecologically and everything, it's not great to just waste power all the time. So I just, that's, it started becoming part of my consciousness not to have this stuff running all the time if it wasn't necessary. Um, and, and since I had all these monitors and things to see how much I was actually using, I became much more aware of it. And saying, wow, this is drawing like 2,000 watts continuously. I don't think I need to do that. So, <laughs> so, which is really amazing because, like, again, you know, you would, you had at least, you know, four to eight of these, you know, boxes in this closet yeah. just running all the time. So they're at this, as you and I speak right now, they are not on. No, they're not on. In fact, I moved them. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but. <laughs> Basically, I kind of I had these these fairly old OWC drives, which are RAIDs, which are four disk enclosures. Yep. Um, and they're fairly fast for that era. You know, these are the technology's over ten years old, I think. 
but at the era they were pretty fast, like 150 megabytes per second speed, maybe, um, which is not bad, but it's still not fast enough necessarily for the new, the modern footage. Yep. Um, and then this one last big project I did when I was using these drives, they started kind of semi failing and they were just really slow compared to what I really could use. So I decided to kind of retire them. Um, uh, so right now I've, I've transferred all that data. You know, that gigantic drive that I just got, the 140 terabyte drive I just talked about. Correct. A, a lot of those drives, like all six of those drives, uh-huh. <laughs> that data now fits on like a third of this gigantic. <laughs> 140 terabyte drive and it's a way faster. So I spent a couple weeks copying the data off from these drives onto right. this, onto this gigantic Thunderbolt drive. So, so it is now handy to you, but it's not running off the Drobos. It's, it's off the much nicer, faster Thunderbolt system. That that's, that's right. And now I'm using my original OWC fast drives as backup. Nice. And, and I have six of my Drobos as like a third backup, but they're just under my desk stacked up. And, and, and you'll only turn them on if you really think, eh, I should really back this up. I'm not going to need to access it very often, so I'll put it on here. Um, actually, those are just archives now. I don't even need to have anything backed up to those Drobos. So all my Drobos are all filled up with what they're going to have. They can't fit anymore. <laughs> so those Drobos are basically the archive now. The museum pieces. Uh, Keith, how in the world <laughs> do you keep tabs of what you've got on these drives? I've got like a couple of spare drives sitting around in a, you know, in, in a, in a box right now. And I've no idea what's on that. Actually, I do kind of know what's on them, but it's like, you know, the thought of accessing them again. Is, is just too painful. And, <laughs> and, you know, what makes you, you know, keep all these, you know, what has to be, you know, dozens and dozens of drives around the house? Um, well, these, these enclosures hold quite a bit. They're 16 terabytes each or around. Which is there. a ton, which is yeah. still a ton of, of space. Yeah. yeah. And they're, and they're kind of chronological. So like, for example, drive number one is the oldest stuff. It's like 10 to 15 years old. Right. And then it just gets newer and newer and newer. So as I, as time goes by, I don't really need to access the old one unless I'm doing like a project that needs that really old stuff, which isn't too often. So I don't really wind up, all I know is that if I need to access those drives, I have them available almost immediately. Um, yeah. if I, if I need to, um, because, and I need, and I can kind of identify them by the dates, you know, so I kind of know, well, the newer stuff I'm going to keep on the, and you, the, identi- and you identify those dates because you got to fire up the drives themselves to find um, out what the file it's date mostly, is? It's mostly just from memory. I kind of know, okay, these these, yeah. dri- these earlier drives are like from 2010. These later drives are from like 2017. You know, I might and, – and the thing is I have all this stuff immediately online if I need it. Right. So all I need to do is turn on a couple of these gigantic Thunderbolt uh, RAID boxes and I'll have access to pretty much all my data. And if I need to do a search, I just do a, a spotlight search. Yeah. Or I can just go through the finder and just look at the look at the folder names because all the folders are are named with dates. I find so, the finder to be so unreliable, but then again, it's probably me and the way I'm using it. But you know, but it's it's it. pretty good if you if you if your spotlight index is index is intact. Sometimes they get corrupted and you have to redo them. Right. So you just uh, 
you just uh, go into the spotlight control panel and you click on privacy and then unclick on privacy and it will regenerate the database for that, that drive. It takes a while because it has to go through all the files and populate the database again. But then after that, it's pretty reliable. Okay. So you just do a search for, and I usually name the folders with the subject matter. So it's kind of like, a, you know, I use the finder naming as a database. I, I have the data in there, the subject matter, and then the camera that I used. And and so that if I need to, if I know an event occur, occurred on some particular date, then I just put the data in, and then all the folders come up in the spotlight search with that date. And then some of them might be different things, but most likely I don't shoot too many things on the same day. So I'll just have all the folders all all the all the media for that particular date all listed and then I can drag them into my editor to create a sequence. Yeah, it's so, very nice. Yeah, very nice. so it, work, it works pretty well. It's actually pretty efficient. Yeah. So Yeah. So it's but it is the data management thing and just biting the bullet to buy these gigantic Thunderbolt drives is kind of the way to go. Because right. then you can just it's just more efficient and you can you don't have to have all these different drives all over the place. It's just almost all in just one spot. And then I have everything backed up to Backblaze. So Backblaze has now like 200 terabytes of stuff on it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. They're like going, we got to get rid of this guy. Oh my gosh, that's so great. <laughs> He's losing us money. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Oh my gracious. Well, good for you. No, that I I think that's that's absolutely terrific. Good, good, good. Uh, 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 oh, and 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 so uh, okay. So we talked about like uh, the the temperature and the noise and stuff like that. Has it created more room in your uh, in your actual studio office uh, <laughs> because you've taken out stuff there? Um, not that much room, but that's but that's okay. Because they didn't really take up that much room anyway. They were under my desk. And my desk, if you remember, it's huge. Yes, it is. And so lots of stuff can fit in there and nobody even knows that it's down there. Right. So I have, I had this uh, little rollable file cabinet that I had in front of all these drives that are way in the back behind next to the wall under the desk. Right. And so now the file cabinet can go in like another eight inches or something. <laughs> right, right. The drives aren't there. But that's other than the, the amount of space. No, not really. It hasn't, <laughs> that hasn't changed. And it's still just a big mess. Good. Congratulations. Good. Just perennial, Very perennial good. cleaning. Uh, but but the good news is that uh, you can really access those files in a uh, at the drop of a dime, which is that's good. right, the that's drop good. of the dime, and yeah, it's really organized, and I don't have to worry about all this clunking and stuff that's going on. And it's like, why is it clunking so much? It's gonna fail at any moment. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Hey, uh, so there you go, kids. Uh, learn your listen, lesson and invest in $10,000 cables uh, to get yourself uh, 10 plus feet of Thunderbolt 4 uh, speed. So um, that's the lesson that you can take away from this little segment. Keith, let's do this. Let's take a little bit of a break and let's come back with uh, the start of our Cinegear 2022 special episode. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a lot about uh, what's going on with Cinegear. How's that? Yep, sounds good. Fantastic. Okay, uh, stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll come back more with Cinegear right here on Tech Move.
All right, folks, welcome back to Tech Move, and you are in for a treat because today is our Cinegear 2022 extravaganza. Now, the good news is that we've got some terrific interviews lined up for you. The great Keith Moreau uh, was good enough to be able to uh, get on his reporter's hat and get out there and uh, just bust some butts and take names and get out there and get some interviews. The bad news is that this happened back in early June. And if whenever you're listening to this, uh, it could have happened just a short while ago, or it could have happened a long time ago. But never you mind, because <laughs> the interviews are still fantastic. Keith, thank you so much for getting out there and exploring the expo. I believe that Cinegear happened June 9th through the 12th in L.A., uh, something like that. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, at the, uh, where is that? The L.A. Convention Center down in Los Angeles, California. That's right. That's right. Uh, Keith, it was your first time back at Cinegear in about, what, two or three years from what yeah. our calculations are. Yep. Uh, what were you expecting? What came to fruition? So here's the thing. Um, Cinegear traditionally in the past, all the ones I went to, um, ending in 2019, were actually held at Paramount Studios in Hollywood. Um, and it's basically just, it's kind of like Universal Studios if you ever do the back lot, except it's actually in the, it's in the back lot. It's, it's in where all the, the fake, uh, facades of streets and buildings and neighborhoods and things are. And it's pretty cool because you're actually in the studio and you get to see a lot of behind the scenes stuff of how things are done. And it's just, it's just a neat environment, you know, and this Universal Studios has been around forever. Right. Um, well, so I was the day of, <laughs> so I got, got to my Hollywood hotel. Right. Um, and it's the, actually the really nice hotel called the, London West Hollywood Hotel, which we, which we love, and we always go there, and it's just really nice. Right. And uh, and we we I I do it because it's in Hollywood, so it's not that far. So um, anyway, you know, I just pull up the like the maps of how to get to Cinegear, and you know what Uber route I should take. I actually drove, so I was going to drive there, and okay. so I was looking at parking. So I drove to LA this year. I've driven to LA quite a bit recently. Right. Um and. And uh, I was saying, hmm, why, you know, why isn't it showing up on the Cinegear site? You know, why is it, why is it saying it's at the LA Convention Center and not at Paramount Studios? <laughs> so, so as it turns out, they changed the location. Oh, they from, did. Yeah, from Paramount Studios to the LA Convention Center. So it actually is in LA, which is actually kind of far from where West Hollywood is. It's not super far, but it's medium far. And in LA so, traffic, it could be excruciatingly far. It could be, and you know, LA is just impossible to get anywhere. Um, anyway, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. It was still, it was it was probably a little bit longer than than normal, but it was just a surprise that it was at this new venue, which made it quite a bit different in character. Um, as I said before, it was really cool to be in the Paramount Studios, LA Convention Center. It's just like you know, Las Vegas Convention Center. It's like a big, gigantic building where a bunch of vendors have their tents and displays and things set up inside. 
in a carpeted indoor interior. So it's a lot like the atmosphere is a lot like NAB. And it's, you know, quite a bit smaller than NAB. So in a way, it's more concentrated on cinema gear and film gear. Um, so that part's good. But as far as the actual character and atmosphere, it's quite a change. And I kind of prefer the other one. But I could see why they changed it because sometimes it gets really hot out there. Some of the vendors are basically just melting, you know, and, um, it's not as, it's not that organized and centralized. You have to go all over the place to find different, different, uh, vendors. So this one was much more organized, a lot less chaotic. It was easy to relax and, and, um, so that part of it was different. Um, it was the, the vendors and the different, um, different manufacturers that were there. It's still pretty cool to see all that. So that part was really good. It was just a different venue. And, and it must have just had an entirely different feel for, for the show. It did. That. It did, because mostly um, Cinegear was outside. There was some stuff that was inside of the sound stages, like a lot of the lighting stuff was inside, and that was kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, it did have a different feel. They actually had a little outside area, but it was much smaller. And it was like, why are you guys out here? Are you relegated because you, you, you lost the lottery? Um, <laughs> they, they didn't pay enough. <laughs> For like booth fees in order to be indoors. Yeah, it was like they were sharing like the same space as the taco truck, you know. <laughs> so, but I actually joked with the D- DJI guy about that, and he said, "No, we love it here. We right. think it's so cool to be outside." Sure they did. <laughs> right. Sure they did. Ninety degree heat and without air conditioning. It was great to be out there in the baking sun. Yeah, Fantastic. but anyway, so that was oh the thing that was pretty cool was that. One of the delays was actually the president. Okay, so one of the things, I did, had no clue about the LA Convention Center. I hadn't been there before. So it's huge, and there's a huge amount of parking, and it's really hard to get in there. It was at, There was another convention, uh, conference there called the, the Convention or the Conference of the Americas or something. It's kind of a famous thing. And, like, yeah. all the world leaders were there, including President Biden. Oh, wow. Like, like, like this was kind of like G7 or the United Nations meeting. It was amazing. <laughs> and, and and when I first went there, I saw this kind of kiosk that looked like a registration thing, and I went up to it, and I said, I'd like to, you know, register for as press to, you know, this thing. And they said, oh, okay, you know, bring it up. And, okay, so what? Uh, this com- might answer your question. In California, just proof is just proof that the uh, shall that not be named is listening all the time. Right. <laughs> Probably has an episode of Tech Move out before we do. But um, <laughs> anyway, so President Biden was there, and we actually had to wait before we got into the parking lot. There's like a street right before it, and the presidential like motorcade went in front of us. Oh, nice. Yeah. So oh, it's possible good. that we were within a hundred feet of president Biden and didn't get arrested. or <laughs> no, questioned. No, that's very, that's very good. It was a good yeah. day. It was a good day. And then, mm. and it turned out the parking was pretty easy, even though it was confusing at first. So anyway, um, so that's my kind of like little setup as, as far as the atmosphere goes there. That's great. No, yeah. that, that, that's fantastic. Okay, so let's do this. Uh, enough talking. Let's get to the interviews because these are kind of the the more exciting things that are going on here, okay. uh, especially with what what uh, you were able to capture. So okay. let's do this. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to introduce you to some of our special guests. 
We've got uh, folks from uh, Canon, DJI, Sony, a couple other things going on. Folks, you're in for a treat where we cover Cinegear 2022 uh, with Keith Moreau and uh, everybody else that's involved there. So you'll hear it here first. Well, now second because it's so delayed. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's still great interviews. So stay, uh, stick around, and we'll come back with more here on Tech Continuing coverage of Cinegear 2022 for Tech Move. It is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And we have now a guest uh, from Cinegear that is really not an ordinary guest that you would hear on these airwaves. But, you know, hey, Tech Move, we're very innovative here, ladies and gentlemen. And it's very, very cutting edge. And we have secured a uh, interview with a company by the name of Anton Bauer. And yes. we have the great fortune of speaking to their technical sales manager, Ted DeBov, who spent a little bit of time with Keith. And Anton Bauer does everything batteries. Right, yep. Keith? I mean, yep. give us a little background. Everything batteries with Anton Bauer. Oh, yeah. They're like the household name in, in batteries. Mostly the bigger batteries that are used on really professional cinema cameras. Like those really big V-mount batteries that are huge honking. They weigh more than probably all of our cameras combined. And they're... <laughs> yeah. They're they're just big. I actually have a bunch of V-mount batteries, but I don't have uh, Anton Bauer batteries. Because they're actually... They're like premium. They're like the Rolls-Royce of batteries. So they're they're pretty expensive, but they're really reliable and really good. So are these like the true third party? Like you know, Sony will include a, a you know a battery with, with with their cameras, but you want to get an Anton Bauer battery to replace the Sony one? Is that what we're talking about? Well, I think in some cases there might not those those manufacturers might not even make batteries. Um, they might just have a have a, a receptacle for a battery. That Anton Bauer makes, and, and 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 they just put their slap their name on it like it's their own, um, or vice versa. I don't know if they slap their name on it. I think they just will. You know, people don't necessarily buy Sony batteries for Sony cameras. Um, yeah, uh, not not. We're talking about the big the big you know cinema cameras that have right. you know, like like need a lot of power. And and actually, that's one of the um, the things like I that that. Um, Ted. Ted. Right. <laughs> Ted Dubov. Du- Dubov. Ted yeah, Dubov. Ted Dubov. Right. Was, was, was talking about, he was, he was talking about this new 24 volt oh. uh, battery. Well, that, that, well, that, that, don't, don't say anything. Let, let's, let's let him oh, talk okay. about it. And then we'll, and then we'll come back and, and talk about how juiced up we are from their big batteries that they got. So, uh, <laughs> l- l- let's do that. Okay. Okay. Hold on to that comment, Keith. We'll come right back. Here is Keith Moreau and Ted Dubov with Anton Bauer from our Cinegear Floor 2022, and they're talking to TechMove. A lot easier than a gigantic camera stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so is it actually recording? Counting down? Okay. Ted of... Dubov. Anton Bauer. Ted Dubov of Anton Bauer. 
Okay. Hi, this is Keith here with, uh, forgot my podcast, Tech Move Podcast. <laughs> and we've got Ted of Anton Bauer, and he's going to tell us a bit about their new battery systems. Go ahead. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for chatting with me, Keith. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about 26 volts. I know uh, recently we've had a big announcement from Aerial with the Alexa 35 uh, requiring a high-voltage battery. And this is something that Anton Bauer has actually been doing for a while. We've had 26-volt Gold Mount Plus batteries out since several years ago now. And, uh, you know, as these cameras come out, they're coming to the spotlight. And so uh, our Gold Mount Plus system is, is unique because of a couple of reasons. First, it's a uh, native 26-volt high voltage. So it doesn't up-convert from 14 volts like many other manufacturers have, which is a benefit to the battery because you aren't cutting the watt-hour capacity in half or the longevity of the battery in half uh, from a cycle count perspective. Uh, additionally, we've got these 26-volt Gold Mount Plus chargers, which will actually charge both 14 volts and 26 volts. Okay. So folks who have been using uh, uh, anti-bower Gold Mounts for a time don't have to invest in an entirely new ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You can use our 26-volt batteries on the same charger, and with a down conversion plate that we also offer, it'll work on a 14-volt application as well. Okay. So. so you just said something, and I was going to ask you, to, so I wasn't really paying it full attention, yeah. but if I took one of these bigger batteries, higher-voltage batteries, and yeah. put it onto a standard system, would it work? Well, there's uh, something awesome about it. The first thing is the, the way that this is built, there's a bit of mechanical interference here that will actually prevent you from putting this directly on a 14-volt application so okay. that you don't fry any of your equipment. Got it. Super important. Okay. There is a sandwich plate that we make that will down-convert this to a standard gold mount, which will allow you to use it okay. on those applications. Okay, great. Perfect. So I think you've answered all the questions about why. Okay. What's the reason for a, a, a higher-voltage battery? So a higher-voltage battery is something that you can use for multiple applications, like really high-watt uh, watt draw cameras and lights. And it's something that the industry is kind of moving towards with the announcement of a new camera and, and with more power-hungry lights. And it's something that uh, that we we kind of saw happening a few years ago that we, we jumped on then, and now it's you know it's something that we created for those purposes. Are there? Can you name a few cameras that require this battery? Yeah, like the Flex 4K, uh, the Aerial Alexa 35, which just got announced. Obviously, yeah. we also have a, a, an application for the Sony Venice and Venice 2 that you can you can do a higher voltage battery. Okay. So you know they've been around uh, for a couple of years now that you can use them, but uh, you know folks are really jumping on that now as those sensors get more power hungry and you can do more and higher frame frame rates and data and all that stuff. So. Right. Right. We're talking about big pro cinema cameras. That, totally. Yeah, yeah. That are power Absolutely. hungry. Okay. The big question, how much does it cost? <laughs> well, actually, we've got you know really great promotions. I encourage you to reach out to your local dealers. Uh, from a list price standpoint, the higher higher watt-hour capacity is around $1,000, okay. around $700 for the lower watt-hour capacity battery. Okay, that's not that's bad. That's a 240 and a 98. That's not bad. For the cinematography industry, that's, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Okay, take All care. Right. Keith Merlochek move. All right, that is the great company Anton Bauer and Ted Dubov, uh, the technical sales manager who was kind enough to spend a few moments with Keith Moreau uh, for Tech Move and our continuing coverage of 2022. I am Rod Louie, and Keith, when you were talking to Ted, uh, you know what? What about the the batteries that he was kind of specifically showing that that interest you uh, greatly? Well, okay. Here, to be honest with you, you must be. Uh, I demand it. Go honestly, ahead. 
I was just basically testing my 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 recording equipment with Anton Bauer. <laughs> it was just like he was there. I I had kind of just put it together, and I was saying, you know, this is maybe kind of interesting. I'm going to interview this guy about his batteries. I was I was actually just looking at his batteries, and then he came up and said, "Can I interest you? Are you interested in this?" And I said, "Well, how would you like to be interviewed?" Because I'm I'm personally not in the market for these these big V mount batteries. I've got a couple right. uh, V mount batteries just for like big long projects. I sometimes I mount them to lighting. Like I have a couple um, aperture lights that that have uh, V mount uh, inputs. Okay. So if, if I'm remote or something and I need like a lot of s- super amount of power, then I'll put those batteries on. But I don't really put. I mean, I have a couple V mount things for some cameras, like some of my power hungry uh, cameras, but. For the most part, I hardly ever use them. So, but <laughs> thank you very much, Anton Bauer. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Anyway, go on. Th- thanks, thanks, Ted. But the the stuff the stuff's good. And so, Anton Bauer, they make mostly battery stuff. They make tons of batteries, and they make mounting plates for batteries. And they're just you know they're really a household name in batteries. So one of the things he was talking about was the new twenty six volt batteries. I mistakenly said twenty four in the previous intro, but um. So some of these cameras are are so like high high uh, resolution and their process, processing power is so high that they actually need uh, 26 volt power. I think the newest RE um, uh, 4K or 8K or whatever their their big new camera is requires 26 volt batteries. So Anton's producing this thing for that, particularly for that camera. So um, that was kind of what he was talking about. In this particular interview, well, that's this, pretty good. Yeah, so, super. So, so there definitely is a pretty big market for that, but it's a very specialized market for that kind of technology. It, it's very specialized, and I'm just I'm just trying to I'm going to just look on a price for one of these batteries. Oh gosh, so I, I, okay. I'll, I'll I'll probably fall off my chair for so and, gonna, and this is just for a battery, right? Yeah, just for a battery. This will so just see. This will be a crap. Yeah. Okay. So as you're looking, I'm going to ask you a question because this is fascinating. Yes. Yes. What, what, when you're talking like, it, you know, a big battery like this, mm-hmm. what does that exactly mean to us layman? Does that mean like it, it, it'll run for like nine hours now or, it, you know, or it, it or puts out so much juice that you get the most uh, uh, performance out of the gear that it's being run on? What, 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 what is that performance uh, uh, so great w- with these batteries versus like, you know, something else? Yeah. So, so if you just have a camcorder, they, the smaller ones that, that we have. Yeah. Although I have a couple Ursas that, that require these big batteries, but, um, but I have adapters so I can use smaller batteries. Anyway, the, those batteries are small, you know, and they'll yes. power, but the thing is the cameras are small and they, they're pretty power efficient. So they don't, they don't really draw a huge amount of battery. But if you have, um, a setup that you really don't want to deal with replacing batteries all the time, or you have multiple things on your camera, like a monitor that might be power hungry or other devices that take power inputs that are required, then this one big battery can power your camera and all the other accessories you have on it. And, and, and it's a lot easier just to swap out this gigantic battery rather than replacing all these little batteries all over your rig. Right. So, so, and and then you don't have to worry about it. It's like, oh, this is this is good for all day, and I don't have to deal with it. 
and your your rig is already gigantic anyway, so adding this big battery on it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. Um. So there, are, I mean, you could put you could use one of these type of V mount batteries on just a DSLR type rig or a hybrid camera rig if you've built it out and put the plates on it and things to do that. And I've done that in the past. Like when I've done things where I really don't want to run out of power and have to worry about anything, I will occasionally use one of these gigantic batteries. Um. And but the thing is, if you have a cinema camera like like the kind that are you know, like the Alexas or the Reds or or the big Sony cameras, they need these these batteries. They won't work without a gigantic battery. No, they won't, there won't okay. be enough power because they they're so power hungry because they're using like twenty watts or or not twenty watts, like two hundred watts or something like that. Right. So that requires a really big battery, and those, and you might actually wind up replacing those batteries pretty often. So I'll give you an example. Their their lowest price twenty six volt battery, which yeah. is that new line, the Diatonic, it's seven hundred fifty dollars. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all right. And, and 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 if you get the um the four battery kit, yeah, with the charger, it's fifty three hundred dollars. Wow. So okay, so very prosumer uh uh type of stuff here. Very very pro. Pro, yeah, not just prosumer, pro. Pro, just straight out pro. Like, just pro, like, like cinema like, industry. Like, like movie production companies are, yes. are getting these things. Yes, right. yes. Or if you're a big crew doing whatever. I mean, if you look at yeah. any of those reality shows, they're, they're all shot on these gigantic cameras. These guys sure. are like all – it's really funny because you'd think that, especially reality shows, they want to be unobtrusive and have a small right. camera they can move. They, right. they use gigantic cameras, the shoulder mount things. That are huge, right. and they're all over the place. Has it hasn't changed over like thirty years? Has it? It's like I, I, they're I all enormous. Yeah, I don't quite get it. I don't quite get it. Like, <laughs> Especially when the quality is so good on the small cameras now. Yeah, who knows? yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's just easier, and I guess part of it is just the weight because it's big and heavy. It's a little bit smoother instead yeah. of being all jiggly. But there's now there's all kinds of um ways to counteract that but anyway definitely that's a different definitely. different discussion yeah <laughs> all right well hey that's uh ted dubov uh from anton bauer and thanks for uh for spending a few moments with us we really appreciate it and uh keith thank you very much for that one and we will take another quick break and uh, come back with uh another interview uh uh, from our from the floor of Cinegear 2022, right here on Tech Move. Hey, welcome everyone to the Tech Move Cinegear 2022 episode, where Keith was good enough to secure some interviews, and some of these folks that we're talking to are going to be first timers. And I'm going to think that this first one uh, that we talked to, well, I don't know, it kind of depends on what we decide uh, in the post-production of what's the first uh, interview. But anyway, let me just throw this out there. Sony Corpor Corporation, Keith. Uh, very interesting that you were able to get somebody from Sony. And uh, who we're going to talk to is Mr. Gabriel Johnson, who's the Senior Product Marketing Manager for a product called the AirPeak S1. Keith, give me a little rundown of what this is and what it is that interests you about talking to Gabriel. Uh, well, um, Sony's booth is chock full of different kinds of stuff. Um, although, from my point of view, just what I'm interested in, all the stuff that the rest of the stuff that they have has been out for a while. 
And uh, this this particular product is pretty new. It's actually their first uh, consumer drone foray, and it's a it's a big drone. You know, it's 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 not as big as some of the gigantic ones that you see holding up like red cameras and stuff, but it's not it's not small. And it has some interface with iPads, and I believe it only works on iPads, and it has interfaces with Sony cameras, um, and some of the you know the digital SLR hybrid type cameras. So I just thought it'd be kind of interesting since I knew nothing about it and it looked kind of cool to talk to somebody about that one. It sounds neat. I mean, like, um, it, 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 I, I think you're right. You know, Hey, of course I've had a little bit advanced notice on what the interview was like. Yeah. You, you know what? Let's, t- let's listen to the interview first, Keith, and then okay. we'll come back and we'll talk about the product itself because right. I think it's, I, I think it's very interesting. It's something we, we should really uh, dig into a little bit. Okay. So let's do this. Let's run this interview. So ladies and gentlemen, this is Gabriel Johnson, uh, who's the senior product marketing manager for Airpeak S1, and he's with Sony. And he's good enough to talk to our very own Keith Moreau during his visit at Cinegear 2022 and all this for Tech Move. Hi, this is Keith Moreau from Tech Move. We're here with Gabriel of Sony, and he's the, what's your position, Gabriel? Senior product marketing manager. For the AirPeak product, which is Sony's first drone? First drone, yes. Okay. Take it away, and I'll be asking you questions. This is the AirPeak S1. This is Sony's first drone, and it's the world's smallest and lightest drone capable of carrying alpha full-frame mirrorless cameras uh, and also controlling them, too, which is is a big aspect of of this aircraft. Um, You've got the ability to control a lot of manual functions that you would control right in the alpha that a lot of alpha users are used to controlling from you know, your different uh, focus modes, your um, shutter speed, white balance, ISO, uh, shooting modes, all of that you're able to do um, right on the, uh, the iPad here in our, our uh, proprietary app. This is um, AirPeak Flight. So we designed this specifically for use with AirPeak. Um, you get a live feed from the drone. You also get a live feed from the camera. So now, I noticed there's an iPad here, so explain to me about how the iPad interfaces with this controller, which I assume, okay, so, so let's get backtracked a little bit. You get the AirPeak drone. Yep. You get this controller. Yep. So that's part of this initial package you got. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So the base package for the S1 here comes with the drone itself, comes with four props, two batteries, the controller, and a charger. Okay. And then the gimbal and cameras you buy separately. Okay. So, um, oh, the gimbal is actually separate. It is a separate. Okay. Yes. And the Add gimbal. Okay. And the gimbal, but there's only one gimbal. There is only you... one gimbal. Yeah. Okay. We have the uh, T3 uh, from Grimsey here. This has been specifically designed for AirPeak. Okay. So it's got special connections to allow you to connect to Alpha and get more control here and also get a video feed uh, okay. through USB as opposed to HDMI. Okay. And so this is a. This is a certain brand of gimbal. It's not a. It's not a Sony gimbal. It's or it not is? a Sony gimbal. Okay, but there are other brands as well. Um, this is the only one available right now. Okay. Okay. We officially certify for use on the AirPeak. So. Yeah. So when we when we buy the this AirPeak, 
do we have to then go to some uh, a dealer for this particular gimbal? We we actually sell it. Okay, <laughs> kind of strange, but um, no, we actually we do sell it. Um, but it's made by Grimsley, so it's, okay. yeah. So we're the distributor of that, um, but Grimsey makes it and services it. Okay. So, and, and if we wanted to, can we use this for other applications, or is it just designed to work with your system? It's just designed to work with our system, especially based on all the connections. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, so now we have this iPad and we have this controller. How does the iPad interface with the controller? Is there a lightning cord, or how does it how does it connect? So um, you're able to talk to the uh, from the iPad to the remote um, using USB. So there's there's a port here right on the back. You can see there where you would plug in, and that allows you to connect your iPad to the controller. Okay. And the controller can talk to the drone. That's great. So got a question? Sure. There's obviously some other competitors that that have produced something similar to this. Yep. They're all over the place. Some are probably have gone out of business and some are flourishing. So what's the reason for Sony's entry into the system? So kind of our, our intent with this is really just to provide our creators an opportunity to, to take their craft to the air. Okay. Right? So, you know, we make, we make great cameras and want to give people the opportunity to take those cameras and use them in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the, the birth of AirPeak, was how do we allow creators to do more of what they do uh, and give them a new playground. Mm-hmm. How long has Sony been developing this product? Uh, it's been in development for a little while. Uh, the exact timeline I don't have, but it's, it's, been, it's been at least a couple years okay. that we've been working on it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so now I have a bunch of Sony cameras. I have a few E-mount lenses. I actually sure. use... I have a different, a couple of different brands of E-mount lenses as well, not yep. Sony's. Um, if I wanted to, would I be able to use a third-party um, Sony lens with this system on a, with the Sony camera? And what the, limitations would I have? Yeah, so theoretically, yes, you could use um, other lenses on here. What you might run into, and this is kind of true, you know, in general, a lot of ones are, are pretty compatible, but discompatibility of certain functions of yep. it. Maybe focus could be a, an issue for you. Right. You may not be able to use the touch focus option okay. just okay. because of the communication. So okay. those are just things to be aware of, of yeah. not using the Sony products is yeah. how functional certain aspects of it will be in use with the, uh, the full system. So if I had for a, d- a different brand lens and it works pretty well on, the ca- on a camera, like yeah. say I had this... What is this? Oh, this is an Alpha. It's a 16-35G on there. Okay, and then the camera is... That's an A1. A1, okay. So I, I don't have this camera. This is a ni- really nice camera, but I actually have an A7S III uh, with, a, with an, a non-Sony lens, which I use all the time, very wide angle yep, lens. Yep, yep. Um, it seems to work perfectly, in my opinion, with yeah. the focus, touch focusing, um, face uh, tracking, and all the different tracking modes that it has. Yeah. So could I expect it to work pretty well with this setup? Honestly, you have to try it out okay. to find out. And okay. there's, there's a lot of little things between here and there that okay. could be different, okay. but would would uh, you know be worth a, a tryout? Okay, yeah, try it out and test it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like not too bad. You're like kind of lingering, and they're like, hmm. <laughs> what's going on here? I think we need to have like a flashing police right, police siren now, or something. Right? <laughs> You know, she was in the past. She would she would be kind of guarding people. She's really good. Like, 
Yeah. Yes. Hey, 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 stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just started to become like a like a fight. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? You trying to fight me? Like, hey. And I just figured it's okay. Let's just let's yeah. just yeah. let people walk through. It's kind of funny. Okay. All right. So I have I have an iPad. Okay. And you need to have an iPad or an iPhone, something iOS. Yeah, iOS okay, driven. Yep. Right now, it's only iOS compatible. That's what Correct. I heard. Correct. Which is fine for me. Um, and maybe at some point in the future, possibly there'll be an Android version, but we're not sure. It's just yeah. up in the air. We don't know. Yep. Okay. So, um, so I have this. I have a camera. I have uh, hopefully a lens that works. Um, how much am I looking to for it to, to cost? for a, a setup for me, for my situation. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, what I call a, like, ready-to-fly kit, mm-hmm. this is not including the iPad, because, right. you know, there's a wide range of products you could use with iOS compatibilities. I don't try to quote that. Right. Um, but outside of that factor, you're looking at about 14.2 to get into this system to get it up in the air Okay. Uh, before you throw, throw an iOS device on there. So okay. if you throw that on, that's going to... Um, Make it a little, a little bit extra. higher. Yeah. And then, are you including the camera in that? I am including a, a basic camera with that okay. and a basic lens. So that's 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 your starting price, kind of our our lowest cost option on an right. alpha full frame right. mirrorless camera. Right. And something as basic as one of our like you know 50 millimeter lenses. Okay. So, how much are you allowing for that? Because you know the, the low. I don't know what the lowest price camera and lens is. So how much? Yeah. Let's subtract that out because I already have something that'll work probably yeah i would say probably looking to take about maybe like two grand out of that okay you're so probably... about 12k approximately 12k uh yeah yeah if, right if right i already there. have the camera and i already yeah. have the ipad yeah okay right around there okay sounds good so i hear that um you're an expert pilot so we're going to start flying this now <laughs> drone moses, moses he's a champion drone, drone pilot. <laughs> um they were just doing you know practicing some like low flying and Buzzing people, so we're gonna we're gonna start that out. No, so let's let's start. It <laughs> no, we're not gonna do that here due to safety concerns. Um, anything else you want to say about the product? Uh, you know, just a, a couple other things I'll mention. Um, so we've got uh, stereo cameras on the front, back, side, and top, and it provides uh, obstacle avoidance. Okay. Um, and that also assists with um, automated flight as well. Okay. Uh, one of the the hallmarks behind this i would argue is its ability to have 3d spatial awareness okay um so even without connection to gps it's actually able to maintain stable flight um, in you know variety of environments okay so that's something else i'll mention and then the last thing i'll say is um it's really agile aircraft and and that may seem strange to talk about for something that's been built for photo video cinema Mm -hmm. um but there's something to be said, especially when you see this thing demonstrated, about just being able to get to where you want to go quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, that's a big advantage, the fact that it spins up quickly, mm-hmm. and it, it takes off quickly. Mm-hmm. You can accelerate up to 56 miles per hour wow. to get to where you want to go, mm-hmm. uh, and it's super nimble mm-hmm. as well. So it, it, that just gives you more confidence just to get to where you want to go, get the shoot done, and then come back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That's that's another aspect of this that I think is worth calling out. But um, it's available now. Okay, great. You can you can find it at um, you know your favorite uh, imaging specialty dealer or photo specialty dealer. 
Um, and uh, you can also get it from a drone specialist as well. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely. So, Gabriel, Sony, and I'm signing off. Keep it off with Tech Move. Thank you very much. Thanks again to our friend Gabriel Johnson of Sony. The AirPeak S1, Keith, very interesting. Uh, their first foray into the drone business, it seems mm-hmm. like. Yep. Not It's not small, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, if anyone, you know, I don't know if we're going to release the video of, of your interviews uh, anywhere. It'll probably be on our website uh, or uh, some of our other social media pages. Yep. But the uh, the thing is not a little drone. No, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Uh, okay, go ahead. Give me your thoughts. Uh, well, my thoughts are is that I feel like it's version one of some type of Sony 4A into something. And I I think that it's probably priced pretty competitively compared to some of the other ones. And it's got the Sony backing um, because, uh, you know, there's there's some other others that are out there that you can clamp on your, your – uh, SLR too, but it's, it's, they are, I'm sure, very difficult to set up and very, uh, you know, custom, customized. You know, it's kind of a specialty industry, those big, those big drones that carry big cinema cameras. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So this one is, it's able to carry, you know, hybrid SLRs. They specialize in Sony. So, for example, a really, a really, um, Common one would be uh, like a Sony A7S three, like the one I have, right? Which is a really nice 4K um, yep. camera. And it's pretty small. Uh, FX three, which is pretty much just the viewfinderless version of that. So it's, I think it might even be a little bit lighter. Um, and then, but that's pretty much it. So it's, do, it's, do you think it could accommodate things like you know the A the A six thousand the sixty four hundred stuff like Do you think it could accommodate something like that? Yeah, it's supposed to. It's supposed to. Yeah, those are those are even smaller. So, but I think I think the biggest ones you can get are probably like the A the A seven series. Yeah, that it can hold. You, you might be able to get something bigger, but it might be stretching it, and then it won't be as compatible. Like the controls and things might not be as compatible because it it has this this controller that you hold onto and then you clip an iPad into it. And so you can actually manipulate the camera a little bit too. So you can adjust the controls on the camera, like exposure and, you know, various settings like you might with a remote control on a camera. Right. So it has that ability by, cause it, you can plug in a USB into the camera uh, from the drone. So that part works, but it's, that's not necessarily going to work for other brands of cameras. So it's a pretty Sony centric solution. And it's pretty big and it's pretty expensive. It's like you really probably can't get away with it for less than $10,000 by the time you add the different things that you need to put onto it. Yeah, that, that's, that's what, uh, uh, you guys were discussing. It kind of, it kind of seemed like it was going to be like in that 10 to 12,000 range, you know, of course, not including an iPad you know, not including a camera and all this kind of thing. So it sounds like it's going to be a, a, a pricey, pricey little thing until they really get it going. Yeah, it is. And the thing is, is like, are you, is it really going to be that much better than some of these DJI models, which are getting pretty darn good? You know, that's like, what I'm thinking, right? Yeah. So for example, DJI has, uh, you know, they have their, their pretty high end systems and 
I'm just looking on on a retailer just to see, you know, and their their cameras that are that are, you know, pretty pretty big. They're they're s they're micro four thirds or s thirty fives. I think some of them. Right. And you know they're like three thousand dollars or something for the camera part, and then the lenses and stuff. So by the time you you, you get a camera and a gimbal and you get a drone and it it might be less than than um, the Sony model, you know, with the quality being pretty darn close. Yep. So, um, and you're with your Sony a seven, you're, you know, you're risking like four grand or so of camera, you know, besides the cost of the drone. So you're talking, you know, it gets, it gets up there. Yeah. It's up there. The drone's 10,000 and then another three to 4,000 probably for the camera. So now you're talking like 15 K. So, and you know, let's face it, somebody's, you know, uh, a seven could be their a camera. And are you going to exactly want to put one of those up in flight rather right. than one that's dedicated like a DJI or something like that? It's, it, it's, it, I mean, like, hey, you know, they want to get in the game. I get it. That's nice. Yes. But, yes. you know, maybe they should have developed a camera just for that, just like the DJI pipe, uh, people did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm trying to find some, some compatible, like something that's similar, like the Inspire, for example. I just say, DJI Inspire, I'm going to do yep. a search. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, look, very interesting. It, yes. Really great. And, yes. you know, if if anyone can pull this off, it's going to be Sony. Sony, you know, mm-hmm. they, they dabble in a little bit of everything. I'm surprised it, it doesn't have a built-in vacuum cleaner. <laughs> right? So it's, so it's probably going to, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, version one. So it'll be very exciting, you know, yeah. when, when 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 it really comes out, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, we'll all be very interested to see what reviews are like, and you know, maybe you'll even try one, and we'll and we'll get a feel for it. But uh, uh, you know, it's going to take a couple, you know, iterations of of this thing before it gets to be the household name for for drones and yeah. uh, and things like that. So, yeah, you know, I, I get it. I yeah, get it. I I think if they. If they just keep it up and they and they they pour money into it, it may it may have some traction. Yeah. Um. But it's still going to be kind of a specialty thing, because it's really large. So you're going to have to have permits, and you're going to ha- you know you're going to have to be like a professional drone flyer to to use this thing. Oh, is you it going to be one of those where you might need a a, a license to do oh, it? Oh, you definitely will need. Yeah, you'll need at least uh you know like the the typical pro license for this thing because it's huge. Nice. Yeah. Wow. And, and, which isn't hard to, you know, it's not like lots of people have it and it's not that hard to get. You just have, to, you have to study and take this test. In fact, I'm actually studying and I'm in the process of studying and taking and try, try to take that test. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But, um, but, uh, you know, it's huge. It's dangerous because it's so big and heavy. You know, I don't even know if they have like prop guard protectors on it or something. So, right. You know, it's, it's a, it's a very serious commitment to, to fly one of these things. But it was really cool. It looks, you know, kind of kind of Darth Vader-ish, which I think I told the guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Check back in a couple of years of in tech move and we'll see. Like two episodes from now and we'll see how it's doing. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's, that'll be pretty accurate. That's right. That's very good. All right. Good. Well, hey, congratulations to Sony and the AirPeak S1. And uh, Keith, thanks for uh, breaking the news for us on this uh, new technology that Sony's got. Very interesting. 
and uh, am very excited to see uh, what comes of it. See what uh, you know. Maybe by the like you said, maybe by uh, the next time we review something, it'll be at the S twenty three or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> yes. By that, by next time we we get to this. So, all right, fantastic. All right, again, that's Sony, and uh, that was Keith, and uh, we are going to take a quick break here and reset for our next interview for Cinegear 2022, your continuing coverage right here on Tech Move. Continuing on with more exciting interviews coming at you from Cinegear 2022, it is Rod Louie and Keith Moreau from Tech Move. And Keith has secured a uh, interview with a company uh, by the name of Deity Microphones, and we have their uh, brand development guy Andrew Jones uh, come by, or actually we went by to him, and Keith was able to secure a interview with regards to some very interesting technology that they have uh regarding like timecode clappers and of course their main special you know their bread and butter is of course microphones so keith what what drove you to visit the fine folks over at deity mics well i i've been kind of kind of following deity for quite a few years um they were they're kind of a small little startup company i think a branch of aperture and uh and i always wanted to i actually even I think I did a little teeny little interview a while back, but we never included it just because they didn't have any products back then. They had like one really good on camera mic and that was it. Um, and now they've just, I think they've kind of exploded a little bit and they've come out with all these products that are really good deals. And they're really great because they have some really good products that are not that expensive. And so they're kind of creating competition. And so other companies like road and others are creating, good quality products for less. And so I really wanted to see what they had, um, what their differing offering was. And it was kind of funny because, well, you know what, I'm, let's go to the interview and, and, and then we can talk about it afterwards. Cause there's kind of interesting things happened. No, that's, that, that sounds great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's talk to Andrew Jones. Uh-huh. Uh, and he is talking to Keith Moreau, right here on our Cinegear 2022 coverage, right here on TechMove. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with TechMove. I'm here with Andrew of DD, and he's going to explain some of their new products and some of their classic products. Yeah. What is going on? Let's talk about the new products first and foremost, because people are going to care about that. And that is our brand new Citus Audio ecosystem that's all about time code. Okay. So the first thing is the TCSL1 timecode slate, world's cheapest timecode slate, also the world's first Bluetooth-enabled timecode slate. I'm going to pick it up here. Super lightweight, one-handed operation. Love that. And what's really nice is when you clap it, you can also display metadata on the front of the slate. So right now we're displaying C-Log3. Uh, you can display whatever you want, up to eight characters, three lines, plus U-bits as well as frame rates. It can sync up with multiple kinds of boxes, either via the Bluetooth app, which is our ecosystem, or if you have a timecode system from someone else, you could always go into this 5-pin timecode connector or this TRS connector. Really simple little device, great battery life, solid build quality, only $1,000. Oh, not bad. Not yeah, bad. it's 30% cheaper than the average timecode slate currently on the market. This thing is coming out in August. 
And then a companion for this is the little TC1 box, which is our Bluetooth sync box. What's great about this, Velcro on the back built in, locking TRS jack, onboard screen and menu controls. And if you're worried about someone touching the controls, it also locks everyone out so they can't actually make any adjustments when you're on a shoot so you don't lose time for the sync. It only drifts one frame every 72 hours, which is fantastic. Early bird pricing on this is only 170. Oh, that's really good. Really is super affordable. Yeah. It's going to shoot up to 199 though after August. So get in on the pre-order now or sometime this summer. It's shipping at the end of June, around June 20th, June 21st, somewhere around in there. Okay. So for those that aren't that familiar with this type of device, can you explain? How it operates. Absolutely. Here's when you use this kind of device. Because I know a lot of people are like, I've never used time code for before. But now it's an option probably on your camera. And for all small body cameras out there, like your mirrorless and DSLRs, we can also output a microphone signal into your camera. And in DaVinci Resolve, you can adapt that over from time code. Here's where it comes in hand. Post-production is cheaper with time code. By that, I mean, how long does it take you to sync up your footage? How much are you paying yourself as an editor? Or if you're having to pay an assistant editor to create the project for you and do all of your sync when you're running multiple cameras and multiple audio sources. But with time code, it syncs up like that. Super easy, super fast. You get into your edit faster when you're operating with time code. Right. And as opposed to audio syncing where you have with waveform mm -hmm. and someone claps and you have to look on the waveform and the clap for the camera and then all the audio files and you have to sync it all up and it's like and it cool and that's yeah. now the first time the clap happened let's talk about the next time you hit it and then next time so over the course of a whole day doing that to multiple clips multiple audio files it's going to be a nightmare mm -hmm. whereas time code boom yeah. you're done so with this system would you be able to run a mic into it and then have it split the channels and have one channel be... So we have a microphone built into the unit, okay. but if you want to do something like that, let me show you. I've got something right here, which is a fantastic $50 item. So I pull $50 this off. for that? 50 bucks. Here's what's cool about this microphone. It has that input you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So the mic has the input, not this device. So I can plug this guy mm -hmm. into this, which is our D4 Mini, 50 bucks going into my camera. Mm -hmm. And then that would actually handle that no problem. Wow. That's pretty cool. Talk a little bit about this since you've got it in hand. So what's really cool about this is it doesn't require any batteries. turns on and off with your camera because it doesn't have any batteries. It pulls all the power needed from your DSLR or mirrorless camera on the microphone port and no extra settings, nothing else needed. If you're running a camera that has auto gain, again, it works perfect with this. It'll adjust whatever it is that the camera is sending to it via its preamplifier comes with this dead cat the cable needed to go into a cell phone which is often a bonus cable because it's trrs included for free with the kit good deal yeah i have to get one of these it's a really cool little microphone the tripod's coming out soon this guy's going to be sold separate i think for about like maybe 20 bucks uh just a nice little setup if you need something you put your camera on there then put your microphone on top nice little tabletop tripod then turns into a nice handle we really like these products they're really nice. D4 Mini is available right now, and it's considered an Amazon's choice item. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. I'm actually, actually probably going to get one of those. Really cool. Yeah, because I'm, I'm currently using a different brand, and they're big, and got to put batteries Batteries. And the batteries. This is a great little item, yeah. D4 Mini. And like I said, it just works really well. And the wind protection, up to 21 miles an hour. 
So if you're outside and it's even just a slight breeze, you're not hearing a single bit of it with this guy. Okay. Well, since you're talking about mics, anything else we should know about your mic line? Well, I mean, in general, we also handle wireless mics unlike anyone else in a situation unlike anyone else. And that is this. Our transmitters record internally and transmit at the same time. And that means I can remote control them from my receiver and allow these units to record. And if I have any problem out there with audio hiccups, any kind of interference, I go... Okay. Because I got a good raw recording backup all the time. And that's been fantastic. That's great. I love that. I love the new trend of being able to record and transmit at the same time. (laughs) That's awesome. Anything else you want to talk about while you're here? I just want to say we're having a great time here at Sending Gear. I'm meeting a lot of new friends. I wish you guys were here. But, of course, you're watching the podcast, which means you get a little taste of it in every little video. A little taste of it. Okay. So, were you were you ever at the uh, Paramount Studios? I was. Of this? Yeah. This tell, pa- tell me about your. This is our first time in this venue. Tell us about your impressions about that. I'll tell you at the LA Convention Center. One of the best things I like about this is the energy of the room. With Paramount, it's spread out. Right. Here, it's a condensed room full of hype energy. Right. And if you've never gone to Cine Gear, this is the show to come to. Okay. This is like the great one. It's pretty good. We were kind of, you know, there's some character in the, the studios when we're over there, and it's kind of cool to be in the, that environment. But here, so there's much a lot of energy. So much in the room. easier to. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so awesome. Like right here at our booth, we're showing off audio products. Right next door, gigantic five gigahertz transmitters for like airplanes and helicopters. And right across the hall, right here, is a techno crane that's like doing some crazy stuff. I mean, you don't get that anywhere else. City Gear is the show. Okay, so when we were trying to get you yesterday, it was funny because your your um, colleague said, "Oh yeah, the expert, the guy that designs all this stuff, he's <laughs> over there." And he pointed, actually, didn't point to. Well, you were over, like hundred feet over there, but yeah. there was somebody else in the booth, and we, so she was saying that guy, but it was actually you over there. And this guy was going, "No, it's not me." <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about your background. You're, you design, help design these things, or what? Do you yeah, do? so I do a lot of the product design okay. uh, for everything. We founded the company about four years ago. My background is a location sound mixer, working on films, working on TV shows, reality TV, corporate video for a very long time. And I took that experience, and when we started to make our own products, I took knowledge, knowing full well how I used products in the past or how I modified other people's products. When it came to developing these, I said, we got to do it the right way. We got to interact with the users, find out how they're using these products, and tailor them to the exact workflow that you guys are using out in the field. That's awesome. So, okay, so I asked this of a lot of people that actually have experience in the production business. What's your worst disaster? My worst disaster. <laughs> oh, dude, I, this is easy. Worst disaster. Okay, you ready for a story? Yes. Okay, so NAB 2019. So this is three years ago. I say, leading up to the thing, I said, we're going to make a USB microphone. It's going to be the best USB mic ever made. And I said, look, here's the specs. I want to use a 37 millimeter capsule, premium capsule, large, di- large condenser. I said I wanted to be a bi-directional uh, capsule so we could do that thing kind of like what Blue Yeti does, mm-hmm. with the multiple pickup patterns. Mm-hmm. We're going to do that. And we're going to have nine of them. Okay? You can already see where this is going. 
Okay? And I said, we need a stereo output. I want stereo analog. And I also want stereo USB, all on the same microphone. And I need headphone jack. And I need knobs. And this thing needs to be gold and, like, it, amazing, right? We get the prototype after we've designed everything. And I get to looking at it, and I'm showing it to people. They say, how much does it cost? And I'm like, oh, it's, like, about $700. And they're like, good luck with that. It's <laughs> the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. We forgot to ask the customer what they want and what features they actually need. We forgot to ask the dealers and the customers how much is the market willing to spend on such a product. And they said, Andrew, it needs to be 100 to 150 175 Not $700. We were wrong in every single thing we did. We were so busy adding and making the best we forgot to include the customer. Yeah. And I showed it first day of NAB. Second day of NAB, we, we still had it on the floor being shown off, but we weren't talking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. By the end of NAB, it was off the shelf in a drawer in a box. I've never shown anyone that product ever again in my life. It was only on display for about 48 hours. Wow. And never to be seen again. Wow. We messed up massively we forgot to include the customer. And I think, too, sometimes, well, the customer for the USB and all that, they're definitely lower bracket. But you're also probably dealt with productions, movie productions or other things where the budgets are huge and everybody's used to overpaying for things. Can be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you look at our time code slate, we're $1,000. That is 30 35% cheaper than the average cost of a slate. Right. Somebody that uses a slate, that needs a slate... Is used to paying around 1500 to $2,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just inter- it's just interesting how there's just such a variety of pricing depending on who you're selling to. Well, it's not just who you're selling to. It's also what techniques you're doing, what are you putting into it, where are you pulling your technology from? So, these run on ARM-based CPUs. Right. ARM is used in a lot of devices. So by using technology from other fields and other industries and stealing the benefits of their development and bringing that to our industry, we can reduce our cost. Yeah. Well, you got some great products. I, I love this product. Yeah. It's amazing. This is a... I have something similar to this, different brand. I like yours because it has a display. And uh, it's also a pretty good deal. This has been a fantastic interview. Love the products. Uh, nice meeting you. And it's good meeting you too, hope, Keith. Hope to, hope to see you again in a, another show. Maybe we can test some of your products. Maybe we can I can buy some and report back to you. Um, so thanks very much, Andrew. Awesome meeting you, man. Take care. Bye, you guys. I, I really like those time code clappers. Uh, I, I mean, I... You know, me as a amateur videographer, I probably won't ever need that kind of thing. But I could see you needing stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I was on a gigantic production with lots of cameras and, uh, you know, tons of shots and stuff. Yeah. Na- narrative. Yeah. Maybe, 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 maybe. But. Otherwise, otherwise, why not just clap your own hands and and sync up audio that way, or what? Clap your own hands, or having the other other product that they featured, which I have a different competitor's version of that. 
Um, so, so when here's, here's the thing, uh, and actually this is kind of more relevant to us now because we have Mac studios, which a lot of software is incompatible now, the new M one stuff. Yep. So, so one of the products that I used forever for probably 12 years, um, is, uh, pluralize. Oh, and, I remember yeah. you telling yeah. me that name for like decades now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know how long I've used it, but forever. And, and I just tried it the other day on my new Apple um, Mac Studio, uh, which is an M1 Ultra. Yep. And it, it didn't run. And <gasps> Oh, it didn't? It didn't run. I was really surprised. I was like, well, shouldn't everything run with Rosetta 2? And I still have to in- investigate it more, like why it's not running, like what's the deal? Because it seems like it's not that difficult a thing to emulate. But I looked on their site, and they're not. This, it doesn't seem like they support it, so I have to look into it a little bit more. But... Um, so that was my, so pluralize is a way of taking all the audio from various cameras. If you have multi, multi-camera shoot, and if you have some audio that's common, you know, like a scratch mic or something on all the cameras, then you can pretty accurately sync all the cameras up. And then it creates a sequence in Premiere or Final Cut or other, other, um, NLEs and, and create sequences that are all in sync with the different cameras. So, but it's still kind of an involved process because you have to import your stuff in, then you have to export the sequence. And it's kind of time consuming because it has to scan through all the audio and find the differences. So it can, it can take, you know, hours to do a really long shoot sometimes. Not hours, but, you know, at least an hour. So if you're in a hurry or you need stuff to be super accurate, you can actually sync all the time code on your different devices. So there's a way to, like, you can, some of the different cameras you can plug the the master camera's timecode output, which is usually a BNC cable, into your another slave camera, and then you right. can have a jam sync, and it synchronizes with that, and then you plug that same master into another camera. You just do it with all your cameras, and that's also kind of a pain because your shoot is now comprised of doing all this work up front, and it's kind of hard. It, it takes a long time to get that all done if you're like run and gun or doing a situation where you need to be really fast, like documentaries. Right. So. I've done, I've been in that situation. I've actually done that. It synced up cameras and it's, it's a pain. So there's a way to actually do this kind of in a way like pluralize, but a wire, wirelessly where you have a module on each camera and the modules communicate with each other time code that's established. Like they're all synced up together and they're all communicating time code to each other. And then they're recording on an audio track on those cameras, that same time code that's mm-hmm. all synced. Mm-hmm. Then later you take their software in this case, it would be DD software, and in my case, it's Tentacle software, and you have it create a matched-up clip sequence, and it's pretty much instant because it doesn't have to do any analysis. Just it just looks at the timecode on the audio tracks, and it can decode that instantly, and then it just shifts everything around to match it. So it's it's it takes like a minute to do that as opposed to an hour. So it's really fast. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So anyway, so DD has has come out with these modules that you can put on each camera for uh, for exp- exporting audio time code into each camera and having them synced. So and and theirs has a little readout on it which makes it a little bit more useful. The the technical syncs that I have are they're kind of like they have one LED or two LEDs on it and that's pretty much it. And so you have to go into the Apple uh, or the iOS app or I guess it's Android app to actually see what each one is really set to to make sure it's work, working correctly. So theirs is I think that DD is better than Tentacles right now because it's got the display, but it's a little bit bigger. Uh, but other than that, I, it, it's the same idea. 
I just had right. the earlier version of it <laughs> with a different brand. All right, Keith. So here's the bottom line. Uh, you do have some deity equipment, right? Did you, did you see anything at the booth that's going to make you go ahead and get something additional, something new that, that, that's maybe there or maybe on the horizon? What do you think? I actually do not have any theater equipment. Oh, you do not? I do not. I, okay. that's the, one of the reasons I've been not kind of holding off because I just, I, I got all the stuff before deity became big. Got it. You know, I got all right. the, you know, like everything I get is the first version of whatever it is. Not really, but in the case of microphones, I already had a bunch of really good mics, even though the deity ones I think are really well priced and they're good. And they had these little, these tinnel, tiny, like, Rode-type on-camera mics. You know, I already got, I already had a bunch from Rode. Um, they do have this really, really small mic that's, like, 50 bucks, yeah. which seems very, very tempting. Like, maybe it's it'd be really good with an iPhone or really good with uh, a very small setup. Um, but I already have some Rodes that are yeah. not that much bigger. So I, I don't right. know. I don't know. But... Um, but I still wanted to give them an opportunity and to learn more about it. And they're they're very innovative. And I know Ted, the, the kind of like the the CEO of Aperture, I, who I guess is related to Deity and somehow because like I kind of like got into the interview by mentioning Ted. Oh, okay. And so and so that was oh you know Ted okay, right up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See how see us here at Tech Move. We like. <laughs> Throwing around names whenever we can to get what we need. So yes, yes, that's great. No, that's yes. great. All right, fantastic. Well, um, thanks, DD. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you know, we 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 may uh, visit you again, and uh, but good luck on uh, on all that stuff that you've got. I I guess it's kind of like a nice little branch out type of business for them. So that, yeah, that's probably pretty good. So yeah. And congratulations. On that. That's Andrew Jones, the brand development for deity and our very own Keith Moreau. And we're going to take a quick little break here and continue our coverage with Cinegear 2022 right here on tech. Move. It's Cinegear 2022 right here on Tech Move with Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And Keith was uh, able to uh, wrestle down somebody from Canon. And what's great is that we got the Senior Professional Market Specialist, long title name, but a really nice guy. Peter Marr was uh, able to join us. And Peter was able to spend a lot of time with Keith and discussing the uh, very exciting R5C camera. And I think this is like the smallest cinema camera they've made. And uh, at least that's how they're kind of promoting the thing. And uh, Keith, you know, uh, the line at Canon must have been long. I, I'm I'm certainly grateful that you were able to secure Peter. Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a, a strange... Uh, situation there. Canon's always very, uh, they're hard to actually get interviews with, with people. You have to like sign up to a list. You have to be pre-approved and all this stuff. And actually we just walked in and I just asked around saying, could I interview somebody about this camera? And their, their marketing person gatekeeper said, yeah, yeah, we're not that busy now. So wait for this guy, Peter, and he'll be back in like an hour. So come back and we'll get you an interview. So, um, so it actually worked out well. Um, I think they weren't that busy right at that time. I think we were at the time of the show where it just wasn't 
super crowded. Right. Um, so, and also, again, kind of smaller presence, not as huge presence as usual, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe if you took their whole booth, because it was pretty long, it might have been the equivalent to the last Cinegear, but just a little bit more like low-key there. Uh, anyway, I was very interested in this particular camera because I have its big brother, the Canon C70. Right. Which is, and this is like the the hybrid DSLR um, that that actually is in some ways better quality than the C70. Hard to believe, but yeah, because of the sensor it uses, et cetera. So I really wanted to 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 fi- find out about this particular camera. Cool, excellent. Okay, so well then let's uh, let's listen to the interview. Let's uh, talk to Peter Marr. Uh, from Canon, along with our very own Keith Moreau, uh, as we explore the Canon R5C camera right here on Technomania. This is Keith Moreau here with Technomania Podcast. We've got Peter Marr of Canon. He's going to tell us all about the Canon R5C camera. Got it. Hey. How's it going? It's going really well. Good, good. You? Uh, it's all right. It's, it's, you know what? It's been a long day, hasn't it? It's been a long day. Yeah. Yes. All right. So R5C, mm-hmm. this is uh, one of our newest cameras. It's 8K full frame. Uh, it's basically a cinema camera, the smallest cinema camera we've made so far. Mm-hmm. So what's nice about it is it follows that R5 original body style. But when you flip the switch, it literally shifts the entire system over to a cinema camera. So if you're used to shooting on an R5 or an R-series photo camera, when you're on the photo side... Everything is going to be natural to you. When you flip it over to the cinema side, it's like shooting on a C70, a C500, or a C300. Menu systems change. Everything changes. Uh, takes a second or two to do the switch, but once you get over there, you have a full-fledged cinema camera built in. Great. So I actually have a C70. Okay. And I have a bunch of other Canon cinema cameras. Okay. Um, I love this because it's a bit smaller. I love the fact that it has an EVF. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that it's an 8 K camera downscale to four four K. Is that correct? You can go four K, and depending if you're in the raw space, you can go four K, five point nine K, or two K. I believe. And let me let me double check that fact real quick, just to okay. make sure I'm not lying to you. No, on no worries. No worries. Yeah, it's eight K, four K, and two K. Mm-hmm. And I believe the Super Thirty Five may be a different resolution too. But we're gonna cut this right here, and we'll say you have the raw, so you get eight K, four K, or two K. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We can edit. Yeah. Um, so, that's awesome, and I have a feeling that it's probably a little bit sharper than the C70 because it's downsampling from 8K. It would, uh, you would have to see it to, to believe it, but mm-hmm. that comes down to how it oversamples and takes that image in, too. The other nice thing about this is you also have the same touchscreen interface that your C70 has. Okay. So, to access a lot of the different parts of the menu that you would normally have to go in the menu and find, mm-hmm. you literally touch a corner of the camera, it'll bring up, false color, waveform, you can change your formats, you can slide through and change your crop factor, whether mm-hmm. it's Super 35, Super 16, or full frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. So, I have a bunch of regular EF glass, full frame glass. I have a bunch of EF glass, <laughs> and uh, I don't really have any R glass. Okay. So, is this still going to work for me? Of course it's going to work for you. <laughs> So the, the mount is native RF mount, which is nice because you can use RF glass on there. You get all the connectivity, all of the 
communication between the RF glass and the camera. EF to RF adapters work just as well as they do on any of the other cameras. Uh, you also have you also have the option to put even a third-party PL adapter on here because the flange depth is only 20 millimeters. Okay. So now you can bump it out to 44 to get that EF depth, or you can get a 52, and now you get your PL mount. So okay. now you've got basically any choice of lenses that you would want on this camera, 8K, full frame, raw recording, camera that weighs less than two pounds. Okay, so the, the big question that everybody has is, will it ever overheat? Ever. <laughs> Put it in an oven, <laughs> put it on 450 for 25 minutes, you might get it to overheat. But, but as it's designed, it's designed for continuous recording. That's why you have the fan built into the back. That's why it's you know got a little bit more, more girth to it, so to speak. But that's what it's built for. Okay. So why would I even consider getting a, a C70? C70 and the R5C. That's, that's always going to be the question for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. C70, uh, built-in ND filters. C70 also has a longer-life battery. So if you're handheld and you're running out and you're running and gunning for a long time, you're going to have fewer battery changes. Okay. The R5C, of course, you get more resolution. You get 8K. You also, with the firmware update on the C70... With the firmware update on the C70, you do have the raw recording options. So right. as far as your recording codecs, they're, they're, they're very similar. But it really comes down to the nuances of what you need. If you need XLR inputs, you've got the XLR inputs built into the C70 body. If you need to be as small and discreet as possible, plus you need to capture some photos at a higher resolution, then the R5C would be the way to go. I suggest both at the same time, you know, but... Yeah, it's like this mounted on top of the C70. Exactly, yeah. yeah you got your wide shot, you got your tight. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, one other thing that we didn't mention, and I, actually I, I forgot what it, what it was because you were talking. I was like, I should ask him about that. So give me a second. Um, uh, resolution. Oh, Sound. What do you recommend for, for XLR inputs or things like that to this if you need it? I would recommend Tascam makes an XLR adapter that plugs right into the hot shoe on top. Oh, okay. So you have full XLRs that go into this adapter. Mm-hmm. You still have the mini jack input, okay. and you still have four tracks of audio. Okay. So if you put that XLR, you can get tracks one and two, or you can switch it however you want. Okay. And then you still have the extra input for other audio input. Okay. So... Um, now we're going to kind of start to get a little personal. What's your background here with Canon? And are you a photographer, cinematographer? Like, what's what's your skill set? I sweep the floors, and they're like, you know what? We really need somebody to. No, I actually started. I started wearing. I started working for Canon around 2000, 2001. Okay. And I started in the consumer video. You remember mini DV tapes? Oh yeah, yeah that's where I started. Okay. Yeah. okay, yeah, it was like the old consumer style. Yeah. Moved up into the photo side, so mm-hmm. I moved over to the photo division, then I moved over to the cinema division, mm-hmm. and that's where we're we're sitting right now. Okay. Now, what we cover is the cinema cameras, the cinema lenses. We cover PTZs. Now we deal with displays, and we're dealing with broadcast lenses more and more. So yeah. it it just keeps getting like a wider net, so to speak, of what we have and what we offer. So it's kind of fun to actually see the like over the years how technology develops and how the products respond to that and how the people respond with what they want and mm-hmm. it's exciting man i love it. it you know what's kind of interesting about canon is that previously what i found is that canon was very conservative about putting uh high-end feature sets into lower price cameras um but it seems 
I mean, this isn't a cheap camera, but it's not super expensive cinema camera. But it seems nowadays you're starting to incorporate, like some of your competitors, incorporating yeah. some of those high-end features in less expensive cameras. So what was the, what do you think was the philosophy behind that change? Well, you're right. Canon was always, you know, they were always a little bit conservative in what they would add to a camera. I couldn't answer what the philosophy is, but I think it's image quality first. You always get the image quality, you always get that Canon color, that color science, and then you start putting the bells and whistles onto it to, to make it work. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to your image. Yeah, that's true. I, I really love, I have a bunch of other brand cameras, and to me, the Canon image is always a, a bit more organic. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's lower resolution, I think it's just more pleasing. Yeah. Yeah, when you see the skin tones and you see, like, the way, even when you look at a set of sumo rays on a camera, you see the way it falls off, and it's just a different look that is incorporated. Because a lot of that is probably in the philosophy of, of what they do. I couldn't answer it. I'm not, not an engineer, but I can observe what I've seen over the years, and I think it just comes down to image first. Um, okay, now I remember what I forgot before. Um, does this camera have in-body image Stabilization or sensor stabilization. Yeah. Okay. So this camera, one of the biggest differences between the R5 mm -hmm. and the R5C, mm -hmm. the R5 has in-body image stabilization, or IBIS. Okay. This one does not. Okay. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that it's a cinema camera first. Mm -hmm. So when you put the IBIS into a cinema camera and you're on a drone or you're in a car or something moving, you may see some things you may not want to see, mm -hmm. which I believe is the reason why they didn't put it in there. Okay. So again, it's image first. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, okay. So when when I was when I came through before and I asked several people about who I should talk to mm -hmm. to uh, talk about these cameras, um, they said, "Oh, get Peter, get Peter." Mm -hmm. And and one of the guys was saying, "Yeah, I, I did I did this uh, I, I did something along with Peter, and my kids told me that I sucked and Peter was way better." And because <laughs> I wasn't here, that's the only reason why. They're like, "Who's not here? Let's get him to talk to." Him. And then another guy. Said, I guess I could talk about it, but Peter's just so much better than me. So you should it's just wait lies. for Peter. It's all lies. <laughs> Don't believe a word. But anyway, you've been great. I oh, really thanks, appreciate man. the info. Yeah, thanks for um, coming in. Yeah, it's been a great time, and I'm glad we waited for for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we waited until the end of the day for us, too. <laughs> so, thanks a lot, Peter. Yeah, buddy. Keith Murrow from Tech Group. And that's the fine folks over at Canon. It's Peter Marr, the Senior Professional Market Specialist, along with our very own Keith Moreau of TechMove. I am Rod Louie, and we are doing our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2022. And uh, you just heard it right there, a little bit more of the Canon R5C, what they call the smallest cinema camera that they've made it's and they kind of say that it's like shooting on an r5 a c70 a c500 c700 in a small package um keith give me give me your uh give me your thoughts on that it, it, you think that's true my thoughts are i think it's an amazing amount of technology in a teeny little package um i think it's so here's the thing it's an 8k sensor so the canon r5 which came out a while back like over a year ago is is an 8k sensor and it and and it's it's so it's a it's a really great stills camera um for for high resolution stills and it actually can record 8k video and 6k and 4k video but the problem with that camera is that it's just not really designed as a cinema camera so it can't record for very long and it overheats 
right. and there's other issues about how it records. So it unfortunately is um, was not was not really suitable for a lot of people using it as a cinema camera. So they I think they came out with a variation of it that has a fan and and kind of tailors uh, a mode, a cinema mode or filming mode um, that's totally separate than the the uh, stills mode. And they made it fairly well optimized, so it's pretty reliable and it records well and it's got all the same codecs as all the other Canon cinema cameras. And so it's actually pretty cool. Like I've really been considering it. Like I'm really? I'm 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 kind of considering it. So I have a dilemma. My dilemma is that I'm kind of half well, I, I have three camera brands that I use. <laughs> <laughs> and um the 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 Canon stuff is awesome. Their their image quality is totally solid and really it it I think it looks the best out of all all of it. But one of the reasons it looks the best is because it's kind of softer, like the resolution is not as good, um, for various reasons. And and so I have, and, but I've got the most invested in Canon. I've got tons of Canon glass, That's either right. yep. the original, yeah, yep. third party or original glass, and I've got a bunch of stuff adapted, like vintage lenses adapted to Canon. You can always use those with Metabones and other adapters, and use them on other cameras. But but they work better on the Canon cameras. Sure. Um, for the most part, especially if they're autofocus type lenses. Um, and then I have black magic, um, and those come, those, those come in Canon and, and micro four thirds, um, mounts. And that doesn't really matter what lens brand I use on those because they're, they're not really, they don't autofocus well. And then it just, the mounts can be adapted. The one that's a big, a big, um, like a dilemma for me is the Sony system. So in the beginning I was Sony and then I switched back and forth between Canon and Sony for right. the autofocus. Right. And, and now I have a really awesome, uh, hybrid camera, the Sony a seven S three. And that camera checks all the boxes. Okay. It, because it's real. It, the image looks really awesome. Um, it can record for a really long time and it's little battery that's in there. Um, it has amazing autofocus. It's really very high quality, very sharp. Um, it doesn't have limits on recording, doesn't overheat, even though it doesn't have a fan. So it's really like the ultimate small little camera. Right. Like the, and it's right. got in-body image stabilization, so you can use non-image stabilized lenses and still get rid of jitter pretty well. Um, it, the only thing that it doesn't have is built-in neutral density filters. And right, so, right. yeah, which is, which is a pain because then you have to put them on the front or use variable indies and that those always are, are a pain. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's the camera. If, if I was just to say, I want a really high quality and I want it to be easy. I'll just grab that camera, you know, and put a, a little unidirectional mic on it, you know, shotgun mic or something. And then I'm ready to go and actually can shoot for a really long time and have to worry about the battery. So it's really good, but it's not a Canon. So I have to use. Right. I bought a couple Sony lenses just for that camera, um, that are modern and work really well. But um, but the bulk of my lenses are Canon. So and anyway, so I'm kind of in a dilemma about which brand I really want to go with. So this this R5 seemed kind of like a Sony A7S III, but Canon brand. Yeah. Um, and the image quality on Canons are just were, were just always great. 
they're always great because it's not necessarily like the specs and the sharpness. If you pixel peep, they're not necessarily as sharp. Um, but for some reason, they figured out how to make something look really cinematic. It doesn't look like video. It looks real. Yeah. Like, or like a movie. Yeah. And maybe less real. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right. yeah. um, so it's always been kind of a dilemma, like to get the most sharpness and resolution, but also to look good. And, but the thing, and as I've done more research on the R5, besides, um, Peter's excellent, uh, explanation of all these different things and kind of a geeky, we went a little bit geeky. Um, there's still some limitations with the way Canon designed this camera. And I think, I think like the main limitation on this camera is the fact that it uses a lot of power. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so you, so you, so you need an Anton Bauer battery for it or something? Or <laughs> probably, yeah. probably you'll need a, at least a bigger battery if you really want to use it as a, as a, as a, a camera that you might use all day. Um, if you're doing like a shot here or there, a few seconds at a time, but, but the thing is about power, it's like the power, it's like range anxiety. Like if you own a Tesla or something, you always have this range anxiety. Like, am I going to run out of juice (laughs) before the next charging station? I didn't bring the uh, 25 (laughs) foot extension cord with me. I left it at home. Yes. Should I have brought my generator with me in case I need to recharge? (laughs) So, (laughs) so it's kind of that, like, I don't want to be, always worried about my batteries. Sure. So it's kind of a dilemma. Like if, if it had, if the battery, if the power, if it powered well with the built-in battery and it lasted reliably for a fairly long time, then I, it would probably be a no brainer. Um, because I think in every other way, it, it checks almost all the boxes. It doesn't have built-in image, a uh, built-in IBIS on the sensor. That's the thing it does not have, but in every other thing it does have. So, uh, so it doesn't have IBIS and it doesn't have the battery uh, life, but, but it does look pretty exciting. I do, I, I, I do admit that it looks like a really great camera. It looks really good, and if I didn't wor- worry about matching cameras, uh, then or if 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 I didn't have all this Canon glass and I didn't have all this other Canon equipment, then right, then yeah. But anyway, so I'm still in a dilemma. We could talk about that more in a different segment. Okay. But anyway, no, yeah, that, but I, that, that is exciting to yeah, think about. It. Yeah. So anyway, so that's that's the spiel on the Canon R5C. No, I I I love it. I I mean, like you know, and the way he made it sound, it sounds like literally you flip a switch and it becomes a cinema camera. Yeah. And no, it's it, it's, it's really pretty. Cool. It's, it's pretty amazing. So yeah, it is. It's it's definitely something to look into. Cool. All right, Peter Marr. From Canon. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, I, I see that he was actually pretty busy through uh, through Cinegear. Uh, a lot of folks got a chance to talk to him, and we're just glad that we were able to talk to him. Yep. Uh, so, Keith, thank you very much for that one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the R5C looks like an exciting thing, so we'll talk about that in, uh, in upcoming episodes. But, anyway... Uh, Keith, thanks so much. We're going to take a little quick break here from our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2022, and we'll be right back on Tech We are back with the Tech Move Cinegear 2022 segments of our show, and we have invited on the show uh some old friends of ours although this is a new person who's who's at this company our old friends at DJI 
who are always uh, very informative and always have great new products to show off. And uh, for Cinegear 2022, it is no different. Uh, we were able to secure and, uh, well, actually Keith was able to see, secure a a, uh, a great uh, sales training specialist. His name is Brett Halliday. And Brett comes along uh, into uh, our segment here. And you're really going to love it, ladies and gentlemen. He's really engaging. He's he, He's really on fire. And uh, just one of those guests that we really like having on the show. So, uh, Keith, uh, I, I know one of the big deals since, uh, you know, we're able to return back to Cinegear and, and all the shows was to actually go and see a DJI Ronin 4D in person. Was that your main objective when going over to the DJI booth? Uh, it was, it was pretty much. Uh, my main objective because I actually had not held one of those. I'd seen them on a bunch of videos and yeah. ads and things. Yeah. And it was, it was fun to, to hold it, to have somebody talk about it, um, to film a little bit with it. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's a very innovative product and, you know, we'll, we'll learn more about it in this interview. I, I, I think it's super innovative too. I think it's one of those things that is just finally, you know, you're, Built in, all in one. You know, take it out of the box, and this is what you need to go with. Very interesting product. Um, odd, but <laughs> but 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 I, but I think it looks pretty great, though. Uh, so anyway, let, let let's do this. Let's listen to the interview, and then we'll have our comments right after it. Uh, so again, here is uh, our very own man on the street, Keith Moreau, uh, who's talking to DJI's Brett Halliday. And we're talking uh, at Cinegear 2022 right here on Tech Mode. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. You're, you ta- you're tall. I think we have to go back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Are we recording? I'm Keith Moreau. Hi, Keith. And and I'm with the podcast Tech Mode. Okay, cool. And can, okay. I, can I clip this on you? Oh, it's a DJI it's mic. One of, your, of course you can. Yes, this is actually my test. You put it on the place that you think it's good, best for you. Yeah, Look that's, at that's that a receiver. With the receiver. Yeah, we're just using the iPhone. I have another brand, competitors. Okay, sure. <laughs> I'm so, okay with that. I'm so okay how, with testing it out. I'm sure this one will come out on top. It's actually already on top, in my opinion. Hey, thank you. And the reason for that is that it's small. Ah, yes. It does. It does recording on its own. Yes. Um, and it's uh, and it's. Uh, it's kind of cute, and I like the charging case. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. charging case is super handy, yeah. right? I yeah, like the it's ready to go the second take it out. Yeah. You got battery. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. So um, anyway, so I'm Keith Moreau from TechMove, and you are Brett. Yes, Brett with DJI. With Hello. DJI. And um, we talked. We, we just gave you a little promo for the DJI mic. That's what this thing is? Oh, yes, that's right. Yes. Actually, you want to talk about it a little bit? You know about it? Or you know more about this stuff? Um, I know more about this stuff, but okay. I can talk about DJI mic too, yeah? Yeah, talk two minutes on DJI mics. Yeah, cool. So DJI mic is an innovative new microphone system. It's designed as a ready-to-use all-in-one microphone system for uh-huh. today's content creators. Okay. So it comes inside of a charging case. Uh-huh. You have two transmitters and one receiver. Uh, the receiver gives you an intuitive level of control with a touch screen on the front. Okay. It makes it really easy for content creators to make any sort of adjustments, monitor their audio levels, okay. etc. Okay. What's really awesome about the DJI mic... <laughs> we can, we can That's let okay. Pass. We can no let no worries. Through. That's all okay. Right. <laughs> 
We're very busy here at Cinegear here in Los Angeles, as you guys can see. Yeah, you know what? Right? Just, if they just pass through, it's okay. okay just let them pass. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Yeah, so DJI Mic is meant to sort of grow with our user base. So you can use this on top of your camera, but okay. as we're doing right now, you can also plug this directly into things like your iPhone, mm -hmm. um, your laptop. You uh -huh. can even use that for things like remote, like... Uh, calls, Zoom calls and stuff like that yep. for increased microphone quality, yep, yep. plug it into an iPad, etc. Yep. So it's designed to be used in whatever system that you want. Um, the connection quality, we use the same connection technology that we've used in all of our other products we've uh -huh. developed over the years. So uh -huh. you're getting like excellent, reliable signal strength without dropouts for the most part. Uh -huh. um, yeah, it's an it's an excellent little product. It's it's amazing. People can't get enough of it right now, apparently. No, it's actually, in fact, I think I had man on back order for like four months or something yeah <laughs> but um one thing though and yes. i know that you're responsible for the engineering of this product so I'm gonna i am tell you. solely responsible <laughs> for the engineering yes i would love to have separated channels on the iphone i understand you'll have one like the left like you'd be the, the right i see the instead of mixing into stereo I'd, yeah? that, I'd like to have that option and i just found out today when i was testing it that i don't think that that's available okay yeah well so. <laughs> I'll make note of this. Okay. Uh, we we take you know we but we take our users' feedback very seriously. So yes. just one thing to know is that all the products that we make we're, are based around what our users want, um, and yeah. so we take feedback right. constantly to improve things. So okay, I will I will note your feedback. Yeah. I'll send it over to the engineers that are actually responsible <laughs> uh, for handling these things, and uh -huh. we'll see what we can do. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the reason that I was attracted to your booth not only that you have tons of stuff which I already own. Have like, I think the I think you're the top brand that I bought in the last five years. Hey, thank you. And that's because you're coming out with a lot of innovative really products. Really cool stuff. Yes. Um, you have some amazing drones, and they just keep. It's kind of like, okay, I already spent like two thousand dollars <laughs> on your last drone. Why do I need? And then I have to buy the next one. Yeah. But um, so that's cool. I have your iPhone gimbals. I think I have two of those. Right? Okay, the OM5 and yeah. Osmo Mobile. And yeah. Stuff. yeah, and I have the little DJI Pocket. Yeah, okay. Thing, with which, the, yeah, with the camera built in, yeah, little gimbal. Which I guess would work. I don't know how well it would work with this this setup. I don't know if it's a like an add-in to it. Or so just... the Pocket 2 does have its own little microphone system yeah. that you can use. I know. Um, we did make Action 2, our latest little, right. uh, little action camera, compatible, yeah. fully compatible with DJI Mic as right. well. So right. um, the one thing you can expect from us is that uh, we're going to integrate these products more and more with each other as time goes on. Yeah. Actually, I have a question for you. Yeah. I, I I don't know if I actually found the wind screen in the case for these things, but I just, oh. but it's got really windy, and I'm hoping that the she's not monitoring the recording. Yeah, and so I'm I'm hoping there's not a lot of wind noise. But you don't happen to have like one that we could borrow for this. I I don't. Probably not. No, Probably I'm not. sorry. That's okay. Well, no. You know what? If, if you think it's gonna be okay, it, yeah, it'll be fine. I can use I can use my uh, software noise reduction. Hey, there the you one. go. Nice. <laughs> But anyway, so what I was interested in mostly, because I haven't really even touched one, is that product over there. The Ronin 4D? Yes, the 4D. Let me grab it let's, for let's you. Yeah, it. let's do that. You could just stay there. Okay. You mean this guy, right? This guy This is, guy. This guy is amazing. This is like the, uh, I don't know, the holy grail of gimbal technology, in my opinion. So yeah. So tell me about it. Yeah, uh, this is a camera system that is going to change the future of filmmaking and it's a product that has truly no competition. This is an all-in-one cinema camera system that has built-in vertical axis stabilization and it's designed for three things speed, power, 
and versatility. So, oh, I got a question. This yeah. is actually a pop quiz to see if Brett really knows what he's talking about. Oh, he he said it has vertical something axis stabilization, <laughs> but what axis is it? It's the Z axis. Come on, <laughs> challenge me, sir. Phew, passed. I passed. Thank you. All right, thank you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. So this thing is going to give users the speed that they need to get their productions moving fast. So you can get this thing uh, like out of your truck and filming in like two minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it has vertical axis stabilization, I just I, I almost can't overstate how powerful that is. Typically, if you were to take another camera system and try to provide vertical axis stabilization, you would have several different products that you would have to choose from. They require expertise in order to use them, Mm -hmm. um, potentially hours of setup time, and many thousands of dollars just to do it. Not only that, you may have to hire uh, uh, an expert in that particular stabilization product right. in order to use it. An operator. An, an operator, right, exactly. Right. This that, thing is designed to be simple, right. so this, almost anybody that's ever used a camera before can pick this thing up and start filming with it yeah. and get top-tier level results with it right, right out of the box. Right, yeah. So is this is this model modeled after a particular animal? <laughs> oh, oh, I see where you're going with this. I've heard the rumors. I've heard people talk. Um, yes, there is uh, some likeness to particular animals out there. Hey, I haven't heard that one, actually. The kangaroo. Okay. By the way, the other day I heard that kangaroo leather is the toughest leather on earth. But no, this is not after a kangaroo. I think it's a different animal. I think it's a bird, maybe. Possibly a bird. Quite possibly. But anyway, sorry for the assistance. <laughs> nice. Okay, so the, right. the thing that makes this really unique is the Z-axis. Yes. And what's the limitations, though? I mean, you can't, like, be running and for it to work. So what's, no, 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 no that's not true. You no? can't. You absolutely can't. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you have, it's up to, I believe, eight inches of total vertical axis movement. Okay. So from the top to the bottom of okay. where you're moving the camera. Okay. Um, yes, you can fully run with this unit and get results that are completely level and clean. Okay. You can mount this onto... Like a car, drive over speed bumps, uh-huh. and it will absorb the shock of the speed bumps, and it won't show up in your footage. Um, there's there's quite a bit of range with this. Thing. That's amazing. Okay, so do I, am I required to buy these these DJI lenses? No, you're not required to buy the DJI lenses. So out of the box, we support three different lens mounting options. Okay. We have. DJI's DL lens mount. There okay. are four lenses in that series. Okay. Then we support Leica M mount. Okay. So any Leica M mount uh, lenses can be mounted on here. Okay. Um, you can also adapt to Leica M mount as well. Okay. And then we support Sony E mount as well with an additional adapter. Okay. And with the, yeah, the size is what type? What sensor size is it? This is a 35 millimeter full frame sensor. Okay. We're capable of. 6K up to 60 frames per second okay. uh, recording, up to over 14 stops of total dynamic range, okay. and it's dual native ISO. Okay. So ISO 800 and ISO 5000, uh-huh. giving you exceptionally clean low light noise performance. How, okay, so let's go back to the lenses. Yeah. So I personally don't have any DJI lenses. Okay. I have a ton of Canon lenses and I have a a lot of micro four thirds lenses, which cool. I don't think will work. Um, and I also have not entirely true. Not entirely, okay. not entirely true. I will say the key to that okay. is the Sony E mount. Okay. So with the Sony E mount adapter, you can uh, you can adapt micro four third lenses to E mount. You can right. adapt Canon EF lenses to E mount. Right. So 
if you get the appropriate mount, Sony E-mount, mm-hmm. you can adapt quite a variety of different lens options okay. on here. So this will fit into a lot of existing like lens workflows. Okay, so if I have an E-mount lens and it's not full frame, will it, will it still work? Yeah, absolutely will. So, uh, you know, for one, you could always crop and post if that's what's required, if there's any sort of vignetting. We do actually offer Super 35 sensor recording. So you have the full-frame sensor you can record from, but you Uh can also crop into a Super 35-sized area. Uh So if you are using, like, APS-C or or Super um, 35-sized lenses, Uh you can crop in. Um, get any, get rid of any sort of like vignetting, uh-huh. uh, edge fringing, chromatic uh-huh. aberration, and stuff like that. Okay. And get the shot directly in camera. Okay. And and this is a what what resolution sensor is it again? Six K. Okay. So yeah. cropping in, you might get four K or a little bit lower. Yeah, you'll get yeah. you'll still get full four K resolution on okay. this thing. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. And then will this uh, stabilization, the Z axis, and on, and all <laughs> the other stuff, will that actually work with a different type of mountain lens? Say it one more time. Okay. Suppose I get suppose. Okay. So I have a Sony. I don't know. So I have a Sony, uh, small Sony lens, like a, you know, 20, 20 millimeter Sony lens. Yeah. Uh, e mount lens, and I mount it to this. Will this gimbal setup with the weight and everything, the different weight of the lens, work with the system? Yeah. Um, generally speaking, it should work. So. This thing can handle a payload of up to 2.6 pounds, which actually, okay. with just the lens only, is, is quite a bit. Um, yeah. Not not too many lenses weigh uh, at that or more. Most lenses are hitting around the pound to pound and a half right. range, right. even for top professional lenses. Right. We do offer quite a bit of room to be able to balance the gimbal uh, out once you've changed your lenses. Okay. If you find a lens that's close, but it's not uh, giving you enough maneuverability, we do offer a counterweight that you can screw onto the back. Okay. Um, and it's like an integrated unit, okay. and it makes it uh, a solid, a non-moving part, mm-hmm. and that way you can mount heavier, longer options on this product. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, can this sensor, I assume this is uh, some type of LiDAR or something This like is that? LiDAR, yes. Uh-huh. So this LiDAR sensor is uh, taking over 40,000 measurements using infrared lasers. Okay. It's detecting distance information, okay. and there's two uses for that. Okay. One... This is delivering some of the best autofocus performance of any camera system ever been developed right. um, because it's getting this hyper-accurate distance information. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's driving the autofocus system inside of this unit. Okay. Now, one other thing that LiDAR does, when you pair it with this focus motor here, you're able to take a manual lens and give it autofocus capabilities right. and very accurate autofocus capabilities. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, incredible. So this auto this this uh, this mount here that can drive the manual lens is this compatible with anything? Does it can or does that need to be tuned for different? Um, lenses? No, so it's it's it does use the industry standards. It's called a, a 0.8 gear pitch. Okay. Um, so any cinema lens or cinema style lens, even if it's a budget lens, uh-huh. will typically have this 0.8 gear pitch uh, okay. style yeah. of ring. Okay. But out of the box, we do also include rubber rings that have this 0.8 gear pitch, mm-hmm. and you just simply wrap it around your lens, uh-huh. and that way it's fully compatible with Great. it. And does, can this be mounted in a different spot if you have a lens that maybe hits it or is a little bit on the big no, side? No, this okay. does have to be mounted here, okay. yes. Okay, so... Yeah, it seems like it might work for some smaller lenses. But you don't have to have this. 
You don't have to have this. LIDAR. It does come included in the box. Okay. You don't have to use the lidar. Right. Um, right. I will say that because of the incredible autofocus performance. Mm-hmm. It's in your interest to use it, right. especially since it does come with the unit right. when you buy it. If I say don't have the DJI lenses, but I have the Sony E-mount lens, for example, yeah. um, will it somehow interface to the autofocusing, the electronic autofocusing of a different brand lens? We, as a company, cannot make any sort of guarantee on performance of third-party products. The only products okay. that we can guarantee autofocus performance out of the box mm-hmm. would be our own DJI Ideal right. lenses. Right. So um, that would be up to uh, entirely up to the user to test out and use for themselves okay. um, and find out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, this is cool. Would you mind if I grabbed it? Yeah. Oh, man. That's like what well, I'm hanging on to this whole... No, I feel no so worries. bad. How selfish of me. No worries. <laughs> so what do you think? How much does it weigh? When it's fully rigged up with everything you see here, it's roughly 10 pounds. Just under 10 pounds. Yeah. Is there a way to put this in a totally uh, locked mode? Yeah, absolutely there is. So I'm going to deactivate the Z-axis. And then if we want... We can turn off the ver- uh, the gimbal stabilization. We'll lock everything into place. Oh, oh. And actually, then, hang on. No, no, no. no you worries. can use it as handheld right. and get sort of right. a very handheld vibe to right, your right, footage, right. which gotcha. is very cool. Yeah. Okay. If you like, you can keep the vertical axis off. Oh, hang on, I'm a little, a little stuck here. I'm, there we go. Let's turn back on the gimbal. And so now we just have a three-axis gimbal. Right. And by the way, this is one of the best three-axis gimbals on the planet right now. Right. It's very good. The stabilization is incredible, very smooth. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So is there a mode where the gimbal is still working, but I'm just fixed on her, but I still have the Z-axis? I'm going to show you something. It's called Active Track. Oh, we might run out of battery. Look, it's already activated. Don't even... Yeah, look. It's already activated. Yeah, so we have a... F- uh, for the most part, yeah. And then it'll go up and down, too. So if you, like, duck low and go high and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. So, so not only do you not need a, a steady cam operator, but you don't need an operator You don't need an operator at all. <laughs> hey, Siri, start filming my next movie. <laughs> Siri, um, can you repeat that? If you were to go like this, would it go up? Um, it might. It it will. So our system will bias towards your face and stuff. So it'll follow your so, face. If so your once head, you du- once you duck down and see what happens. Yeah, it's working. It's working. It's working. And this feature is called Active Track. Active Track is a feature that we've been developing for years wow. on our drone products, mm-hmm. and now we've brought it over to Ronin 4D. Yeah. We're cool. Like, should right? I get it? I think I should get. Should I add it to my paperweight collection? <laughs> nice. Oh, no, 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 no. Right. no, no that no, means no. keep playing. No, 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 no Done? Yeah, All right. Done. I don't want to rob you of the enjoyment of no, this thing. It's really yeah. I'm about to say, yeah. It's, you're a, little, getting... it's a little workout. Yeah, <sighs> I could see. I can actually. <laughs> okay. I was about to say, yeah. Just go film for a little bit. You're good. Get your workout in. So I have one of those things that hangs over my head and then holds the camera. Yeah. Will this work with that? 100%. Yeah, we even, on the top handle right here, we have a 3 8 inch screw designed for that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, neat, right? No, this is really cool. You're, you, you're correct in that it's revolutionizing 
Yeah, this is gonna this is gonna change things. There's a lot of production companies um, and independent creators who are gonna who are gonna see a ton of value in this as time goes on. And this yeah. that's what this is about. It's about yeah. saving time and yeah. getting top tier performance. So you're getting top tier image quality that competes with some of the best cameras on the market mm-hmm. in a form factor that um, it might sound heavy, but compared to no. what? What is it? What is it? Ten no. pounds? That's if you're looking at a steady arm or an easy rig with uh, an alternative camera like a, a Sony FX6, Canon C300, mm-hmm. you're talking about something that's going to weigh 40 to 50 pounds oh, in yeah. total, you know? So no, this, is, this is actually, yeah. This is actually, and it's easy to handle because yes. it's a nice package. Yeah, so it's definitely built with ergonomics in mind. You mm-hmm. can quickly and easily adjust um, the angle like and positioning that. of everything, too, to make it more comfortable to hold long term. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, look at that. We uh, ran out of batteries. Oh, he's getting tired. He's had a full day. He's yeah. had a full day. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Fred. Yeah, been, you got it. Awesome. Nice Thank meeting you. Thank so you. Yeah, it's a pleasure meeting You're you. You're enjoyable, funny. Um, are you a cinematographer? Are you related to, the, besides working for DJI? Are you? I do have a uh, background in video production. Okay. Yes. Okay. So not out here in, in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. I'm actually based in Las Vegas for the time being. Okay. But yes, I'm, I've been doing video for the last, like, uh, over 10 years now. Okay. So yeah. you're, you're considered a filmmaker, videographer? Yeah, videographer is okay. more along the lines. Film, I don't make films. I'm not a cinematographer. I wouldn't tout myself as that. Mm-hmm. Videographer? Absolutely. I've done a lot of small, short-form commercial oh, level cool. projects. Cool. Okay. Um, and then, you know, YouTube and all that fun uh-huh. stuff, yeah. Cool. Really nice meeting you. Yeah, great meeting you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Keith Moreau signing off for Tech Move. It's Tech Move along with Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And Keith was able to secure uh, that fine, fine interview with Brett Halliday of DJI and talk about that amazing DJI Ronin 4D that everyone uh, has been talking about. Uh, you know, Keith, I think it's been out for, I don't know, how long has it been out? Like several months now, right? Oh, yeah. I think it's been six months. Yeah. Least. Probably about least since six... it was announced. And um, the exciting thing is that getting to watch you uh, uh, operate it, I actually was fearful for our insurance companies <laughs> because I, I didn't know what you were I didn't know if you were drag racing with the thing or you were <laughs> pretending to fly a flight simulator or whatever it was. But uh, uh, go ahead and give us a little review of what it felt like. What you know? What did you think of 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 the overall impression of finally holding a Ronin D four uh, D? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. It was you know it's something that I personally have thought about for. Years. In fact, I have some stuff that kind of emulates this thing. Of course. But, um, for example, this is basically, this is something that's been, so when gimbals came out, uh, you know, when the elect- electronic and motorized gimbals came out, they were, they were steady cam substitutes. You know, they, they took the yep. place of a steady cam. Sure. And, and, and steady cams still coexisted along with, um, a, electronic gimbals for quite a long time and they still do there's still mechanical steady cam operators and units being sold and, and throughout the industry but they're i think they're getting less and less and it's because there's this thing called the z-axis which is basically up and down yeah. and and when you use a gimbal it, it's very you can be walking along and everything's super level 
and and very smooth. But the thing that's not smooth is this up and down movement that you can see. Oh, that's not smooth. What inherently or what? Yeah, because what's happening is everything is shifting a little bit based on uh, how high the camera is, is off the ground. So when you're walking, you can you can see the basically you're bouncing. Right. You're bouncing up and down, and some people are pretty good at controlling it. They do this Groucho Marx walk, where they, <laughs> yeah, that's I guess it's I think it's called the gimbal walk, but it's the Groucho Marx walk where you basically elongate and you try to keep the camera and the gimbal as steady as possible. And sure. You look like you look like an idiot, but yeah, right. But but it's the best way to do it. Um, but still, no matter how good you are at this, if you're if you're running, you can't do it. If you're you know, the faster you go, the harder it is. If you're moving very slowly, like it's a very slow type of gimbal movement, then yes, um, it, you can get a pretty good approximation. But you see it all the time. Like, for example, reality shows, there's lots of gimbal shots all over the place now. There's yep. a lot of like um, variable speed things, you know, where they they speed up and they slow down. Sure. And And when you slow down, you don't see the up and down as much when you're in slow motion. But when you're in normal motion or fast motion, you see it a lot. And so, and you can see it all the time in 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 all kinds of work. They're using a gimbal. There's like that person is using a gimbal because you can see the up and down movement. So, um, so this and other. So in the past, in fact, I have some devices that do this. They're they're devices. They're, they're essentially Steadicam vests with the arms, so they allow for this up and down z-axis movement. But then you put on, then you attach a, a electronic gimbal to the Steadicam arm, and so it 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 cancels out the z-axis theoretically if everything's balanced right and it's perfectly the spring and everything is adjusted right then when you jump in up and down the gimbal is going to stay level oh and wow then, okay yeah and then and then you and then you move it up and down you move it around and 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 but it's still like this gigantic thing that you have to carry around it's really obtrusive you know you look like uh robocop you know it's just gigantic and it's 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 something you have to commit really commit to like I am now the Steadicam operator with, <laughs> with this big. Right. Not only do I have this vest and this arm, but now I also have this pretty big and heavy gimbal with a camera on it. So this takes this in a very small, pretty inexpensive package takes the place of all that stuff. Because right. what it does is it has the z-axis um, movement, uh, and it actually it's 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 much more accurate than. Um, adjusting the springs on a on a regular steadicam type gimbal a steadicam type arm it actually has a distance like a like some type of radar system that's pointing towards the ground and it measures the distance and then and then adjusts the the uh, z axis based on that distance so if your if your distance isn't too big like it's 6 inches or so then it can adjust pretty accurately if you if you're jumping up and down like a like a bunny rabbit probably not but if you're just trying to trying to do the Groucho Marx walk, or you're running or something, but your running is pretty smooth, it will actually cancel that that up and down movement out. So it's just amazing. Like you're just on a track, like a technocrane. Right. So this is kind of like the holy grail, and it, it, and it's it, it's pretty technologically advanced, I would imagine, to be able to do it all. Oh yeah, it, and, and, the, and the camera itself is supposed to be pretty good too. Yeah, the camera's not bad. The camera, it's you know, it, it it's probably good enough. You know, I, I don't know if you'd want to use it for every single shot in your film, but for those tracking shots and things like that. And this is the first generation of this type of thing, so there'll probably be bigger versions of this thing in the future for bigger, heavier cameras, more versatile, where you can mount you know like a red camera or something in it if you need to. 
Um, but yeah, th this is a pretty cool unit. This is like, I'm very tempted to get one. If I did more gimbal work, I would be very tempted to buy one of these. <laughs> so, so it does interest you. It does interest me. I think if I was running around a lot, like an idiot with my gimbal or my, my, my vest, I would yeah. probably invest in one of these. Interesting. Be because it could, it could, it can make your shots look super pro and it's not that expensive. Yeah. You know, the whole, the whole under thing. Under 10 like, grand, under 10 yeah. grand, that's for under, sure. Yeah. Under 10 grand. And if you use your own, uh, camera, uh, I, what is the cheapest you can get? I think you can get it for. I'm, I'm like, seeing it on Amazon here for like 6,800 bucks. Yeah. 6,800, 6, I think it's 6,800. Yeah. yeah. That's the cheapest thing, uh, cheapest version you can go. Mm -hmm. And then you they, then you can go up to like twelve k and you get the camera and other stuff. And they are out of stock at this at the moment of this recording, which is amazing, right? Yeah. Well, you know, this day and age, lots of stuff is out of stock. Uh, That's true stuff, too. Yeah, it's probably uh, in the Indian Ocean somewhere, <laughs> like floating away, right? Probably so, not like yeah. my like my like my uh, like solar, your solar panels, right? solar panels and batteries. <laughs> The bottom of the Pacific. Don't drink the water, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Don't drink the water. It's polluted with solar panels and batteries everywhere. Oh, that's probably the the least of it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know what? Hey, DJI Ronin uh, 4D. Uh, I, I mean, like some of the uh, some of our fellow reviewers and stuff like that you know, pulled it out. I, I thought they looked great. I thought they looked, uh, you know, pretty compact, probably better than wearing the vest or any of those other contraptions that look like you were in a horrible biking accident somewhere. <laughs> uh, it, it, it does look pretty neat. I mean, I, I, I mean, I like it. I mean, uh, but again, kind of like a specialty move. And so is that, is that worth it to you? Yeah, it's it's very very tempting. If I had unlimited money, I'd just get one, just because it's fun. Yeah. But um, there's actually one more thing I wanted to talk about in this interview. So we were outside, right? So there's an indoor oh, yeah. part of Cinegear, and 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 there's an outdoor. And, it, and it's actually weird because this Cinegear was not at Paramount Studios. It was actually in this kind of convention center, LA Convention Center. So it's a lot like NAB this one. But uh, anyway, they do have a small outdoor area. DJI happened to be in this outdoor area. Yep. And uh usually uh Cinegear is all outdoor pretty much and there's a few internal ones and uh sound stages and stuff. So anyway, um they were outside. They didn't have a huge booth. I've noticed in the last few shows I've been to, well, the last two, um they've been fairly modest booths. Like they're maybe they spent too much money on the booths cuz they used to have gigantic booths which were right in the front as soon as you walked into the hall. And they probably spent like hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars on this thing they probably went, "You know what?" We don't need to do that anymore. We found out with COVID, we haven't we haven't been to a show for two years, and we're still we're selling more than ever. So we don't need to spend. <laughs> That's so, great. <laughs> but, but that's great. Yeah, but anyway, I so I was outside with these guys, and I waited a bit to find this particular guy because he was like the expert, and I'm glad I waited. But I it was getting kind of windy, like the beginning of the interview, and we ha and I used these DJI um, wireless mics for the first time. Yes. So I bought this and I, it's talking about COVID and delays and everything with shipping. I, I spent, this thing was back ordered four months. I ordered like in January, this, the DJI wireless mic system. Yes. And it got, it got to me like in May or something. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it took okay. forever for it to come. 
Oh my gosh. It, does it does it say much for the Ronin 4D if you order one then, huh? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I am seeing some of them on stock not on Amazon but other places, so maybe they're available. Yeah. But um but anyway, so I I I, I, it was the first time I used it and I wanted to try it out for the show and it worked really, really well. I was really happy with it. Yeah. Um, the only thing was we were outside and it started to get windy and I forgot my, my little, um, they have little windscreens that you can kind of clip onto them. The, the little dead cat stuff that you've yeah. got. Yep. Yeah. They're like little, little furry balls that have a little clip that clip yep. over the little mic part. Yep. And they're kind of funny looking, but in this situation it would have been perfect. And I, and I didn't have one. It was like getting really windy. So I don't know if you listened to the interview. It's a little bit windy. Oh, I did. I, I heard yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I asked the guy, you don't have to have any of these things I can borrow, dude. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I like, I think he was like searching his pockets like he was looking for <laughs> cigarettes or something like that and no dice, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. hopefully, oh, well. yeah. Hopefully I'll be able to fix that in post when this comes out. But although I think that you know, uh, with them developing these wireless mics, they should have Dead Cat available for those of us who oh. need it. Right? Oh no, it, it they should have one available to me that forgot theirs. <laughs> right? But, yeah. uh, who would pay a premium like twenty dollars <laughs> for for essentially like balled up lint? Is, yeah. is essentially right? Yeah, oh, yeah. But anyway, so I just want to put that aside, and I really love those mics. It's like the best. The, the wireless system is the best thing ever. Well, you know what? We're going to have to talk about that because, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the market for purchasing that kind of very technology. And okay, as cool. you well know, you know, I'm a big fan of Rode and also big fan of DJI. I think Tech Move is going to have a shootout pretty soon. <laughs> On, uh, uh, the, the world according to Keith and we'll, we'll, we'll figure out what, uh, uh, what, what the winner will be in Rod <laughs> Louis' arsenal. So, okay. uh, but anyway, look, hey, fantastic. It, it was great to talk to the folks at DGI. Brett, if you're out there and you're listening, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Keith, thank you so much for securing him and, uh, not wrecking the uh d the 4d because that would have been absolutely terrible okay let's do this let's take a quick break and we'll come back with more interviews from cinegear 2022 right here on tech welcome back to tech move and uh you know as we wrap up our Cinegear 2022 episode. And we really hope that you've enjoyed all the uh, interviews that Keith was able to secure for us. Thank you very much, Keith. You're welcome. Uh, we want to close out our show with a couple of other things that kind of at the top of our mind before we let you go uh, and, and before we can get to our next episode. Uh, Keith, uh, I, I believe you are in the market for selling some stuff that you've got. Is that correct? Yeah. Actually, just the last couple of weeks, I've just gone, you know what? I have all this near museum piece uh, camera gear <laughs> that I just, I don't know. I don't know why I kept the thing. I think I forgot about a lot of this stuff. Like your GH1? Time. Like your GH1? That yeah, you like my have? GH1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which actually, no, I just, it just went out. Right. Um, But I, so it was just kind of a nostalgic just gathering all this old gear and seeing if it had any value left. And like the difference between the value when I first bought it new and the pretty much <laughs> insignificant value it has now, right. um, or very low value. Um, and also just, um, how some things are still relevant even in this day and age, especially it's kind of nice to give stuff a second life. Like for me, it's old and obsolete, 
but to somebody else, it's really cool and can really help them. So in a way, it's like paying forward or um, allowing people that you know don't want to spend as much to to have some of this gear or just have extra stuff because they just love it and they're familiar with it. Right. So um, yeah, and I I used to sell a lot of stuff on eBay, um, and I haven't really sold stuff on eBay for quite some time. So it was kind of kind of a refresher on that, and um, and so yeah, so I gathered up a bunch of stuff like how. When when did I actually last use that? So, so for example, um, one of the things that one of the stuff that I I sold were these old um, convergent design recorders. So a while back, like I don't know, ten ish or so years ago, convergent design was a company. They still are, but they're not even in the same business anymore. Um, but they used to create little recorders. Um, initially, they were audio recorders, and they branched out to video recorders, and they came out with this really cool seven-inch monitor that also recorded raw from various cameras, and it was really neat. It was kind of expensive, but it was the only thing that could do what it did, and I actually wound up getting a couple of them, um, because at that time, raw recording on you know, non-$50,000 gear was not that easy to do. You could buy a RED, you could maybe do it on an RE, um, but you really couldn't record on anything else until the uh, the Sony FS700 came out. That was like the first raw recorder that was out there, a raw or camera that could produce a raw output. So I got these things to allow me to, to record raw, and uh, but now they're just not they're not really worth that much, and they're kind of obsolete in a way. They they have they're kind of big, and they do a lot more than is really necessary. And nowadays, a lot of cameras actually record raw internally, so it's not as it's not as uh, significant or relevant to have a raw recorder anymore because now you can just do it in the camera and it's a lot easier and it's simpler. You don't have to have cables and complexity and stuff like that. You mean things like the Atomos uh, yeah. engine, stuff like that, that we, yeah. that we used to love? and Yeah, those are yeah. so awesome because the only way to get raw or really high-quality recording was through an external recorder, either to raw or ProRes. Yep. And uh, you can still do that. You can still buy a bunch of Atomos stuff, but you, I think... You probably noticed that the Atomos stuff is not as out there as they used to be. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything's about, you know, recording within the camera and, right. and, and, you know, and just doing that. I mean, yeah. who wants to carry around more gear if they don't have to? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I got a couple of the first cameras that were able to record raw internally. The, F uh, the, um, the, Sony, sorry, the Canon C200s, which are amazing, um, which I'm actually selling now. Because, again, they're becoming less relevant. Even though it's an awesome camera, and if you have a production company, you could probably use a couple of those because they do good stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's just newer stuff that does it better. It's a little bit cheaper, um, and it's more convenient. So this stuff just got gets obsolete after a while. I yeah. mean, it's not like it's low quality. It's still super high quality. It's just, it's just too big, too slow, too much trouble to use. So when I get to get something that's better technology. Yeah. So anyway, so the, it's just so interesting. It's kind of like, a, in a way, a retrospective in time of how cameras have evolved um, from, in the beginning, it was just a matter of getting out-of-focus backgrounds. That's yeah. all it was about. Right. Right. That's, that's exactly correct. <laughs> yeah. I'm and, still and, in that mode. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I got this... Uh, which I sold a long, long time ago, but I got this adapter to put on the front of my regular camcorder that would allow you to to change the depth of field. It had this spinning like uh, lens that would allow you to focus on it. And anyway, stuff like that, absurd stuff to stuff now where 
you can get a full frame, amazing, uh, camera that, that can record raw and do all this amazing stuff. And it's not that expensive. Right. You know? And, oh yeah. And so, um, anyway, so that's kind of this evolution of how much has changed and, and yet how much is, has it stayed the same? Because back then it was just about getting a blurry background yep. and then it became recording in the highest quality possible, like, like raw. Right. And then it became, how can you get 10 bit, uh, recording it on a, on a smaller camera? Cause that, that hasn't been out a 10 bit recording on, on, uh, a smaller camcorder or, or, or uh, mirrorless has not been out that long. That's not a, a thing that's been available for very long. It's only been a, a few years. It, it, it's actually still fairly new. And, yeah, it's and, fairly uh, new. It's still a huge feature when a camera comes out that they can do that. It's still one of those big features it's, that they it's promote. A, it's a big feature. Like the, the GH cameras were one of the first that did that, which was really amazing. Um, but then all the pretty much all the Sonys now do it. All the mirrorless Sonys do it now. It's just like, yeah, 10-bit, yeah. We do it. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> right. And, and a bunch of the Canons do it. Yeah, we do it. Like pretty much all the, pretty much all the mirrorless cameras do it now. So it's it, not a, it's not a big deal anymore. It seems like they do it, but then it's like, can they do it in 4K or if, if they can only do it in 1080p or blah, 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 <laughs> this and that, right? There, there, there's some limitations, but they're a lot, lot, lot smaller. Right. So, so now, okay. So now it's like, which, which cameras can do pretty much everything? Right. So what is, what is everything? Like, what's your, what's your definition of what would be like the perfect camera? What would have in it? You know, now that, now that we've surpassed, we've gone through a, jumped over a bunch of milestones of what's possible in a camera. You know, we've gone beyond blurry backgrounds and now we're at what? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so for me, it's, it's, like the perfect camera doesn't quite exist, but it's probably going to exist pretty soon. So I'll give you an example. Um, I think a perfect camera would have IBIS in it, the in-body stabilization. Yep. Because that way you don't have to worry about, um, you know, using an, uh, a, a non-stabilized lens. And when you have a smaller camera body, just they shake a lot. Like if you don't have, have IBIS or some type of stabilization, it's really hard to watch. It's yes. so shaky. Yes. And it, you can't get filmic because filmic cameras by definition are gigantic and heavy and therefore they don't shake a lot. Even if, even if they're on somebody, even if somebody's moving around with it or even running, there's just so much mass in those gigantic cameras, cinema cameras that they can't shake that much. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're just falling down the hill, you know, because you dropped it. So, um, so that IBIS thing is really important. And what's really interesting is that the, there are no cinema cameras out there right now that have IBIS in it. Oh, really? Is that true? Nothing? There's, there's no, there, if you can call the A7S3 a cinema camera, it has IBIS. But would you consider that a cinema camera? I don't think it yeah, is because I'm, no. but, but maybe you could say that, it, that it is because some cinema cameras don't have built in NDs, which are really convenient, but not all cinema cameras have them. Like yeah. a lot of the red cameras don't. Um, a lot of the, just name, name it, Ari, whatever. They don't have like a switch that allows you to do NDs. Right. But I think, I think that having NDs helps you do more cinematic stuff. It's just that should you, you know, put a big filter on the front of your camera or not, you know, like just manually put it in front or should you have a click thing to make it more convenient and in, 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 in body ND. So, so for me, it, there, like there's no, there are no, um, 
cameras that have IBIS and built-in NDs does not exist. So that would be I'm like trying, a perfect I'm trying camera. to think about that, and I think you're, yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything that's out there that would do that. No, because if, if that existed, I think I would buy it. And it, and it would, it, it would probably kill everybody's uh, uh, future releases at that point, because why would you need anything else? It could, but it seems like manufacturers are, are almost like okay with killing some of their higher-end lines now, because some of the, the cheaper cameras they're coming out with are pretty amazing. Like, but I agree that maybe this, this magic feature of IBIS and, and, and built in NDs is kind of the thing. So here's another thing that I think is a really awesome thing to get to 4K. So some cameras now have actually have 8K sensors and then they do only output 4K or they record to 4K, but so they downsample the 8K to 4K. And when they do that, they get a much sharper, cleaner image. So that's really cool. And there actually do exist cameras like that now. So for example, the Canon R5C does that. Um, the, I believe that the Sony A1 does that. I think that some, I think the Sony A7 IV does that. So those three cameras are out there that do that. I think it's maybe more 7K on the A7 IV, but still that's a really great feature, but none of those cameras have built in NDs. Right. And, and one or two of those cameras don't even have IBIS. So, that's it's like we're almost there, but we're not quite there. <laughs> and, and, and do you do you think that it could very well be there, but they just know that then you know what else can they put in the camera besides like upping resolution and stuff like that on on next versions? You mean it's like a like a marketing yeah decision yeah to just limit how good the camera can be right so they don't. Yeah. You, you know, like I, I, and you know, me, Mr. GH fanboy here, remember when the GH1 came out, right? Yeah. And then we were able to hack it to, to, to be able to change it to a, what they called back then the GH13. Right. We were, we were able to have, because it had it in there, but the, the software limited what it could do. Yeah. Like a lot of these cameras, you know, because they want to wait. For it's like our Mac Studios, right? That that empty little card slot that's there. Well, what is it there for? <laughs> yes, right. They're 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 just waiting for the next one to be able to jam something in there and then charge <laughs> us another grand for something. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I think part of it is um, not wanting to cannibalize their upper end. Yep. But um, but I think it's but I think that that philosophy is less now. And I'm I'm not sure what changed, maybe because Blackmagic came out and just had all this amazing stuff on these cameras for really cheap. Yeah, you know, like, and yeah. this was maybe two two almost three years ago, three years ago I think, when when they came out with the um, the Pocket Cinema 4K. Yep, the Micro Four Thirds. Oh yeah, and and that was like wow, that was raw great. raw recording on a teeny little camera that's only like twelve hundred bucks, thirteen hundred bucks. How is that possible? Game changer when it yeah. came out. Game changer. And, yeah, and then all the other ones went, wow, how are they able to do that? That's amazing. And then I think Sony just decided, you know what? Let's just throw everything at the A7S three. Let's just make it the ultimate camera. And then let's make another camera called the FX3, which is pretty much exactly the same as the A7S three, but without a viewfinder. <laughs> and let's charge more for it. <laughs> right. And they're selling like hotcakes. You can't even get those. It's have you, are you familiar with that camera? 
I am familiar. I, yeah. I, I, but you know what was, what just reminded me? What is it? What is it? The, the, the G, the GH, was it GH5 and the GH5S? Yes. One had image stabilization inside, one didn't, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> same thing, right? Yes. It's the same thing. It's crazy. It's like, why yeah. wouldn't you do that? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think the FX3 does have image stabilization, but it doesn't have a viewfinder. Like, you need a viewfinder. Why don't you just charge a little bit more for the A7S3, like make it the A7S3C version, and put a couple more holes, quarter 20 holes on the edge of it. You know, that's pretty much what you have. <laughs> you know? Right. So, um, but anyway, so, but I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. Um one of the things that's really cool is Blackmagic just had an update on their cameras, which allows you to record gyro data in the camera. Don't even know what that is. Well, it's like um, position data. So it, it has where the where the camera's facing. Um, basically, it's how image stabilization works in post. So it records all the positioning of the camera in real time and records it along with the video. So then in post, you run it through DaVinci Resolve and you say, I want to stabilize this based on the gyro data of the camera, mm-hmm. and it instantly stabilizes it. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And so now you kind of, in a way, you have IBIS, but on Blackmagic cameras. Hmm. And you, you should actually just, if you have time, check out some of the demonstrations. of it. It's actually kind of amazing. Does it but look great? It looks it looks really good. It, has, it still has the same issues that you have with post-production stabilization, where if you're... If you're um, Frames are blurry, mm-hmm. like from one frame to the next. Like if you move the camera a lot uh, in between, and there's some blurriness, it can't really stabilize that too well because it'll it'll move it around, but it'll look like a little blurry frame right in the middle of everything. So you, it'll be really stable, and then you'll see a blurry frame. So if you want to shoot that way, and you know you're going to stabilize it later, then you shoot with a really short shutter speed, so that everything's super sharp. So that when it does stabilize it, there isn't a, a blurry frame, frame here or there on movement. It's just every frame is discrete. And then you use blur, a uh, motion blur in post, which which Resolve also has. So I'm I'm going to start doing some tests with that to see how well that works. It, it, uh, is there a crop factor that comes in with that kind of? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. There is. Uh-huh. Yes. They can is, be. Is it more or less? It's it's the same as as any type of post stabilization. It okay. will. It, you can, I think, you can adjust the strength of it, so you, so you could make it very weak and just remove some micro jitters, like kind of like in body stabilization does, or you can make it super strong where it just locks it off like a tripod. In which case, it's just a ton of cropping. Um, so it just depends on how strong you make it. But I think the defaults I've seen the, some demonstrations of the defaults, and they look pretty nice. They look like handheld, but just like not like you have it on a gimbal, but like you're very steady when you're holding it. That's Instead cool. of just shaking up and down and stuff. So that part is really cool. So it's fairly um, natural looking then. It can be really natural. And then mm-hmm. Sony's actually had something similar like that on their cameras forever. Um, and the problem is, is that I don't necessarily want to have to put my stuff through um, some third party processing before I bring it into, you know, my editor program yeah. into Premiere or I'd rather have it all in one app, like all in DaVinci or all in Premiere Pro. Yeah. So anyway. I guess this is just a little, I don't know, philosophical talk to hey, end this episode. Hey, it's it's really interesting because <laughs> y- you know what I mean. When when we look back at the origins of Tech Move and what we were looking for in cameras to where we are now, it really is amazing how far it's come. And it is, and 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 what is possible 
at what is actually very reachable and obtainable price tags. Uh, they're no longer these $30,000 type of things. I mean, of course you could go that way if you wanted. Uh, but it's, I mean, my gosh, the, the everyday creator could really get something going, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just basically allowing all the kids to take my job. (laughs) Exactly. That's what it's doing for, for free rather than, than you charging even bear market rate. So, right. So these kids who live in their parents' You know, yes. basement or extra room in the back um, can now just undercut me and produce way better stuff than well, I can with my five-year-old gear. Well, remember <laughs> that they do that already with their iPhone 13 <laughs> and a little iMovie. So remember, they, they already do that now. So don't worry about it. Okay. You're, you're right. I think you're doing fine. So, All right. Good. You know what? Let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, yep. Keith, it was great. Thank you again uh, yep. for all the great interviews and um, this great episode we were able to to uh, put together. Uh, Keith, uh, the folks ha- can still get hold of us all the usual ways, right? Yeah, all the usual ways. Just techmovepodcast.com is probably the way to just find all of our stuff right away. We're obviously on iTunes and all the different podcasting apps. Um, so... Uh, if you if you can find pot if you want to find out where we where we are, just go to the website and it'll tell you how to find us with links. That's the most updated way. So yeah. so we really appreciate. It. We also folks want to ask you to uh, subscribe and you know give us a little review. Of course, only good reviews. But uh, yeah. even if you have something cross to say, uh, just tell Keith. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, folks, we want to thank you very much for joining us on this uh, Cinegear 2022 episode. And uh, thank you for uh, listening and putting up with our nonsense. And uh, we'll do it again in another, uh, I don't know, however long it takes us to produce <laughs> another episode. But anyway, uh, for, uh, for the great Keith Moreau, I am the fairly average Rod Louie. <laughs> And we want to thank you so much for joining us right here on Tech Move. Thanks a lot, everyone. <laughs>